The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, December 7th, 2019, and you are tuned into the weekly flagship for Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking TV ratings, a look back at the week that's been. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the voice, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that order, the feet of the V. And Jarko, it's just not a beautiful Saturday here in December. It is championship Saturday. We've got a full run of college football games. Everything that's going to play into who's going to the big dance, who's going to make that playoff picture. And it's already unfolded. It started last night. And we're going to jump in a little preview of hashtag HTM Sports. But it got going last night. Goodbye, sweet Utah. You are, uh, you are no longer invited. Yep, thanks for coming, Utes. Uh, the Ducks took care of that problem, didn't they? 37-15, Oregon over Utah. Rick, I think that basically rules the Pac-12 completely out of this thing. Um, I was absolutely right on that one. If you listen to last week's HTM Sports, I told you Oregon was going to clean up all over Utah. I also told you that Baylor was going to take care of Oklahoma, and that game is gone going right now, and boy, was I wrong on that one. Well, Lily, let's go back to the pack here real quick. Uh, I've so much. Do you believe that they are done, that they do not have an opportunity to make the, the final four, the big four, the playoff picture here? Even in the post game last night, the reporters, they weren't even asking about that. They're asking Oregon about how it feels to go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they even realize this here. Now we have got, you know, we, we got one pony down. So essentially this is a, a five team, six team race. So we're looking at Oregon versus Wisconsin for the Rose Bowl. I'm I'm pretty down with that. That sounds like a good matchup. Uh, absolutely. I mean, for, you know, for the the New Year Six, I think that's a tremendous grab for them. Let's uh let's talk about TV ratings a little bit, Huckleberry. Um, because there's been so much talk about TV ratings here lately, and I think we're about the only ones that have been saying, yeah, look at the key demographics and look at the the bigger picture rather than just the overall viewership. There is another statistic that is becoming more and more popular. And Rick, I can't hardly believe this. According to Variety, 83% of people, when they watch a show on DVR, don't fast forward through the commercials. What's wrong with those 83% of people? But suddenly, the plus three days afterwards have become almost as vital to the TV ratings as the live viewership. So they're calling this now the plus three rating. So the last two weeks, two weeks ago, NXT had 1.124 million 
AEW 1.110 million. Last week, NXT 972, AEW 986. There's only a difference of about 14,000 viewers both weeks. These things are sitting pretty much dead even. This week, the live viewership, 851 for AEW, 845 for NXT. Haven't gotten the plus threes, haven't gotten, you know, the, the DVR numbers. Rick, what do you make of this? Because as I'm looking at this, these two wrestling promotions seem completely equal at this point. Well, I think you, let's look at this big picture. And, and there's so much information that you threw out there, Jargon. I want to try to touch on all of those points, all amazing points. And it really speaks to what we always, you know, what we always look at here is to take a step back, walk completely around, look at it from every angle, every perspective, so you can get a true understanding of this. You know, when we talk about these numbers, and everyone is so hungry to have that war, to recapture that feeling where it's a, a sense of urgency or us first then and you want to be excited you, you want to join a team and rally behind them and, and get with your your comrades and, and stick together and all this but in those comparisons we're stuck in the past they're looking at that old measurement that old measuring stick of of just that basic number and that decides you know scoreboard i keep hearing scoreboard scoreboard we're sick of hearing about your demographics well no that's not the case there this isn't like a scoreboard in college football or in baseball, where it's just the highest number at the end wins. And I've, and I've been starting to throw this out here. Okay, you could have 100 singles, $1 bills. You got 100 of those. Well, I could have three fifties. Now, number-wise, yeah, you beat me. You've got, more, you've got more of something in your hand, but mine is worth more. Yep. And that's what it comes down to when we're talking about these these key demographics. There's a reason they're there because they're more important to to that advertiser, and in turn that inc that increases your financials. And that's why we keep going towards that. It's not about the overall number. It's about hitting those key demographics. It's about who you're selling your show to, what advertisers are coming on board, and what is your maximum dollar worth. That's the overall picture. Everyone just wants to get caught up in these numbers uh very interesting it, it kind of surprised me there you were talking was it 80 percent of people 83 percent don't fast forward through commercials like they just forget that they can fast forward through commercials well it, and I, I have a i have an explanation for this you know we're just talking about how we're our measuring stick for these ratings is is so 1999 well talk about you know look at you know what we were doing in 1999 as opposed to here in 20. 19. As we're going into 2020, we are a much faster society. Everything is moving at a far faster pace, and we are a society of multitaskers. As we are sitting here recording, I know each of us probably have three different things going on as we're conversing back and forth. There's the television on here with me. I'm watching football. I'm going through my phone. I'm looking up things. I have points I want for uh, topics that we're going to hit on. I've got other things keyed up. I've got a conversation going on, and now you and I are recording. I think the, the case is people, when you're going back to your DVR, sure, it's on, that TV's on, and you have whatever the volume's off, but you're doing, you're, you're surfing Facebook, you're on social media, you might be doing something with the kids or something around the house. So it's not that, okay, there's a commercial, I got to get through this thing, because you're just going along with whatever else you're doing, and if something happens, say, on Dynamite, as it's one of the things you have going on, that picture interest, then you focus there. 
I think it just speaks to our society and how we handle ourselves in our general lives. The other thing I'm finding very interesting about Dynamite in particular is you can't fast forward through commercials because they're leaving the damn box up so you can see what's going on while the commercial break is on. And they're actually trying to do business during commercial breaks. So you can't even fast forward through commercials. I would love to know what the ad rate is for those split screen ads if they're the same price point if they're a lower price point or are they a higher price point simply because people can't fast forward through them on DVR? Well, and absolutely. You know, that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant observation there, Jargo is what, why are they, why are they trying to hold us? Everyone's just so focused on that wrestling aspect of this. Like, Oh, I hate when I cut away from the match. I want to see what's happening or, you know, it could something happen. Are they doing business? Ultimately that's there to hold you for that commercial to increase the value for the advertiser. Uh, saying, okay, you know, and, and it, is it kind of weird? Is it, or, I mean, it's obviously planned that way. As you get later in the show, when you're supposed to be locked in for main events, they try to, they tend to get away from that where you see it earlier. So are those, are those spots not as worth as much as later in the show? Or, I mean, how does that play out? I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to do some checking around, see if I can uh, talk to some people inside of the know there and, and see what the cost is for those split screen ads, because that intrigues me greatly. You see it a lot in the NHL too. Of course, with NHL action, it never actually stops. It just, it keeps on going even when they're doing line changes. So they do a lot of split screen. Um, so I'm very, very curious how that works. going to look into that one a little bit. Um, as far as the two shows, they're equal. All right. I like AEW and I like NXT. I'm going to watch both shows. I also don't count in any of the ratings because I'm watching things off of the grid. So I don't really care who wins the ratings. Why do people get so wrapped up in, oh, NXT won. Oh, AEW won. What's wrong with just saying, hey, both shows are doing well. Is there anything else more important than that? I think it's, you know, it's the same. It's fun to have something to rally behind. As I was saying, that, that's why there was this hunger for this war. It doesn't create just a competition for the companies to be better themselves. It, it gives the audience, the fanatics, something to rally behind that you can take a little bit of pride in. Uh, ultimately, it, what I would really love to see is like some kind of national market group get together and, and do a strong sampling. And I'm talking maybe you know go somewhere 500,000 people that claim to be wrestling fans that are watching on Wednesday night. And I want to know what they are locked into. I wonder, is this just one big group that's watching both? We don't I mean, are, are we just shuffling back and forth? Or what percentage of this truly is, I'm NXT, I'm AEW? Well, we you know, do like, know, we do know, thanks to NXT having that little bit of overrun, that about when you look at the overrun, just the overrun, their rating tends to go up right around 15,000 viewers. Those are people that are switching back and forth between the two shows and people that are going back to NXT to see what they're going to do on that overrun. Is 15,000 the only amount of people that are actually flipping back and forth on this thing? And I guess that is a good measuring point there. Or how many people were just already... Uh, I, do, I guess you see that increase there. Um, I guess that is, a, that is a fair measuring point. Which to me, that I mean, do you, that you would have that number that are just set in for their program, or is it kind of okay? I'm done. You know, it's ten o'clock. It's time to move on with my night. Right. I'm done watching one. Now I'm gonna flip over and watch the other one. Or, or you're just done for the evening. Now, what really got me going on this plus three was last week. 
because everybody was talking last week about how NXT just blew AEW out of the water. And I think the more important thing is, as we look at those demographics, AEW skews significantly younger than NXT. Rick, I think those were people that were just traveling for the holiday that weren't even home to watch the damn show live. And then they caught up on the plus three. Well, you also take into, as I mentioned, you know, like this week, whenever I'm sitting in over on Light Diffusion with Matthew Sheffer Gage, you can find him uh, each and every week, Wednesday, Wednesday, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning uh, with your AEW Major League Wrestling uh, reviews for the week on the Hameen Media Group platform. Uh, whenever I sit in there, it's just out of necessity, I get locked into AEW because that's what I have to talk about immediately. I can't miss anything, so I, I don't go back, back and forth. So at that point, yeah, I'm going to be in that plus three myself for NXT. That's where I go get caught up so that when you, know, when you and I sit down like we are here today, that, that I'm up to speed with what we have to talk about. Last week, though, when we're talking about that key demographic, who AEW targets, it is that younger. It is you know, more specifically, it's that 18 to 30 that they're really going after. So a good chunk of that, you're, you're talking about the holiday. You're talking about travel. I had mentioned this on Light Diffusion. That Wednesday night, it is the biggest and busiest bar night of the year, the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, you've got people, you know, they're they're reuniting. They're going back to their hometowns. You got people coming back from college, or hell, just just getting together. You're bar hopping. You're this is everyone is full gear, no pun intended, towards going out and having a celebration that evening. And that is a large part of the audience that's usually locked in on Wednesdays, sitting at home watching AEW. And we know we can see that. We can use that as a metric because of where their strong point is weekly in the demos. You bring up MLW. And it's not on the run here, but shortly before we started recording, it broke. ACH is now saying he's completely done with wrestling. He was just re-signed by MLW. He put up a scathing tweet towards the fans, basically saying that you people ruin professional wrestling for me, which I can understand. But I'm with you. I saw that you had said on another thread that this absolutely seems like a work. This totally seems like it's uh, part of the injustice angle to me too. We'll have to see how that kind of plays out. The other thing is <clears throat> MLW released Teddy Hart. Evidently one of Teddy Hart's ex-girlfriends is missing down in Florida. Teddy's been named as a suspect in this thing. I'm going to have to try to do a bit more digging and see what I can find out about that Monday in the locker room too. You know, I really, I, I love this ACH where this, this development is headed. And it just screams work, baby. And I absolutely love it. And people are buying into this thing. And, and, I, and I love that part of it as well. Get behind this thing. Ride it out. He makes his re-debut. He returns to MLW in, in, perfect, in perfect fashion. It's against injustice. Mm-hmm. And now he's coming out here. You know, he thought his dreams were coming true. He achieved that he was at the top of the mountain. WWE, everything he'd worked for. And then that just wasn't what it was what he believed it to be. Everything was, you know, it, it, they ruined the business for him. It, it became a chore. It was tasking. Uh, they've insulted him. They, they attacked his race. They mocked him. So in his heart, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving this cancerous organization. I'm going to go back to my roots, back where I belong, back what made me happy. gave me my drive. I'm going to major league wrestling returns against injustice. And now it's okay. You know what? I, even this has been ruined for me. They have taken this has all been taken away from me. Maybe it just wasn't WWE. Maybe it's these fans, these people that, that you know, the naysayers that attacked me for standing up for my civil rights and all this. You know what I really love in this whole thing? This just should could all come back down to he lost his smile. 
Oh, that is just fantastic. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, as for Teddy Hart, this poor guy. And I say this poor guy because Teddy Hart is the biggest, like, the guy can't get out of his own way. Teddy Hart has all the talent in the freaking world, and he just can't get out of his own damn way. He had a great thing going on at MLW. Like, what the hell, man? What well, you talk about just not with MLW here. I mean, this His is whole a, career. a history. This is a history. Everywhere he's been, you talk about the, the athleticism, the charisma. There is no ceiling for this individual. I mean, anywhere. I mean, even it runs it with WWE or whatever there. Uh, didn't he have some stuff with like Impact? Yeah. Youngest person ever to be offered a WWE contract. Wrestling Society X. Yeah. There was everywhere. There has been some sort of just crazy beyond belief, you know, beyond reality, beyond wrestling falling out. Yeah. It's like with Jeff Hardy. It's like, oh, Jeff Hardy got popped for a D- another DUI, you know, and it's like, eh, damn it, Jeff. Come on. With Teddy Hart, it's always something just like completely flamboyantly over the top. Like an ex-girlfriend is missing and he's named in the investigation. Like, my God, Teddy, what the hell are you doing, man? Stay home and oh, take yeah. care of your cats. Did, didn't he have to, like, stay out of the country for a couple years? Because yeah, of just, man, that guy is just something else. Let's talk about another I mean, he's, guy. He's like, a, he's, like a living, he's like a living episode of the first 48. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Let's talk about another guy making his return. John Morrison. Yeah, the return is now official. So, Huckleberry, which brand... Do we want to see Mr. Mojo Ryzen land on? For those who don't know the Mr. Mojo Ryzen reference, it's a, a Doors reference as well as the Jim Morrison, John Morrison. He looks so much like Jim Morrison. It is freaking scary, man. Well, if like Jim Morrison was chiseled like a Greek god. I was going to say, you know, um, I, I think I think Jomo is a little bit even better. You're talking about a Greek god. He's he's more chiseled than Papadon, I think. Oh, by far. By far. <laughs> you, you know, I, this kind of let's go back. Take a step back. I think I believe you were involved in the in the discussion uh, over on Facebook and how many media discussion through and WWE comes out on backstage and they, they give it to uh, that rat faced SOB uh, to give him the, the opportunity to make this grand announcement that that Joe Mo, Johnny Nitro, Johnny Entertainment, whoever he's he's coming back to the WWE immediately fans. You know, you start seeing, oh man, it's, it just would have been great to have a surprise. You know, why do they go and ruin, ruin these things? Well, it, and I stepped in there and I said, you know, this is one of the reasons why the game has to change and evolve with the times. I mean, we're getting our information like this. This was going to be leaked somewhere. We know this was going to happen. That's okay. So WWE has gone out there. They, they've used backstage. They want to use that as a platform to get some major announcements out there to try to intrigue people to say, you know what, maybe I do need to tune into this thing to catch up with some of these inside with this inside news. But now let's look at this here. We, we know he's coming back. The cat's out of the bag on this thing, but we can still use an element of surprise and get people excited. You talk about, and you were talking about here, a, a rock star personality, tremendous looks uh, built a body made by the gods. Isn't this the right opportunity to bring in a true free agent, get him a super agent and shop him around the brands have him showing up on each one week to week trying to be courted. Hey, we, we love to. Hey, we, we had a huge, huge loss at Survivor Series. We're at the bottom of the barrel right now. We need somebody like you on Raw. You, you're going to go right to the main event. Welcome back. Uh, over on SmackDown, you got the Miz welcoming him in. Hey, buddy, come to my brand. 
you know, let's let's get this thing going. You, you got Regal rolling out the red carpet for him in NXT. Let's play that angle for a little while. Play that going in. Say, get that thing going this week. We could play that into the Rumble. The big question is, who's he going to represent at the Rumble? That's where he's signed. That's where he's going to show. There's some intrigue right there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like all of that. Where do you want to see him end up? I keep hearing a lot of people making a case for NXT. And I, I look at SmackDown. And I mean, dude, last night, Baron Fuckface was actually feeding Roman Reigns dog food to go off the air last night. Like, SmackDown needs John Morrison. Well, I think ultimately, let's go back to months ago when we're talking about WWE going to SmackDown and everyone with the assumption they want to be the, the athletic, the sports brand. Is there anyone more athletic than John Morrison? Well, it, even outside of that, you know, you and I were, were the first to jump on this thing. Everyone thought that meant the AJ Styles of the world, the, the Dolph Ziggler, who happens to be there. But, you know, we're talking about those those backgrounds or the athleticism. We were the first ones to point out, no, they meant people that look like pro athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on Thanksgiving, who was representing WWE in Detroit? Looked like a guy that could suit up and go play defensive line. That was Braun Strowman. Yep. You take a Jobo and, and you use, hey, you got them, you got them Tom Brady looks, you got the tremendous build, and oh yeah, you got one a hell of an athlete. One of, you know, arguably just athletic wise, uh, tops, arguably the best in all pro wrestling. I think he would fit perfectly into the blue brand. I could also make an argument for Raw, uh, who, who needs, I, I think he could work tremendously in that main event scene. I'd love to see a program with him and Seth Rollins. Uh, you know, the two CrossFits mm-hmm. going against one another. I think that would be tremendous. I think, if, you know, out of all of them, I think NXT is the worst uh, fit or the least. I'll say the least. Not, I'm going to say any situation is going to be worse or bad for him, but the least of the three would be NXT. When I look inside of the WWE right now, um, I have a whole write up for Monday Night Raw. Like, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened on Monday Night Raw this week. I look at NXT, they have a clear direction. It seems like we're going to do a mini takeover here in just a couple of weeks, and then we're going to kind of build all the way through this Worlds Collide thing that's going to happen Royal Rumble weekend. I expect NXT will be involved there. And then we're off to Portland for takeover. Like, there is a clear direction for NXT. I look at SmackDown. What the fuck are they doing? Like SmackDown is a mess. This show is awful. Like I know Billy Ray Valentine in the Wednesday locker room. They've been saying that Monday night raw is the worst show on television. It's not SmackDown is by far. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those guys were kind of down when we had to realign everything over on the Hami media group platform and they lost covering SmackDown because of the shift. And there's still that, that midweek treat for, for everybody in the locker room. They were kind of disappointed that they had to just focus in on Raw and then, you know, pick up some other news to, to kind of fill in the gaps there. But absolutely, you are right, 100%, Jargo. It is pathetic what they are presenting on Friday nights. I mean, it's almost if, if they're so damn, if they're trying to get kicked off of the major network. Yeah, I have the least amount to say this week about SmackDown Live because it just. It was not a good show in any way, shape, or form. Let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's jump into Monday Night Raw and uh, talk a little bit about what happened this past Monday. Uh, the probably the biggest news going into Raw, 
Dio Madden is out. Dio Madden heading back to the Performance Center. He wants to pursue his goal of being a WWE superstar. That means that we have an opening on commentary. Smoa Joe, come on down. You are now the new heel color commentator for Monday Night Raw. Rick, I love this move because you and I, we talked about this the first time that Joe had his basically his audition, that he, he killed it on commentary. And the longer they leave him on commentary, the more he's just going to get himself over. So what makes a good commentator? Because there's so much bad commentary inside of the world of professional wrestling. We're going to talk about Corey Graves here in a little while. Corey Graves has just become awful. I can't stand listening to Mitchell Cole for more than five freaking minutes. Uh what do you think of the, the commentary inside of the world of professional wrestling right now? Well, coming from an individual who spent time behind the desk, uh, who, who studied it, and I, I still I put a great deal of work into this, and I understand you know, not at every level the intensity of, let's say, you know, what we're seeing on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, but in so many regards, you study those. In so many regards, it's, it takes the same amount of direction, dedication, and respect. Uh, you know, on our platforms, myself, I'm involved in it. MSG, he's working out, doing tr- some tremendous things out there in the Northwest for a number of promotions. He's got to call some high-profile matches. Uh, and even in that, and in, you know, he and I, we work together on shows. But when we go behind the desk and we both sit in on play-by-play, we are completely different in our approach, completely different in our presentation and how and even how we, uh, you know, uh, view a match and what we believe our objective is. This past uh, two weeks ago, I was at a Northern Wrestling Federation show. So 24th anniversary, went and saw my buddies, the Eds, get inducted to their Hall of Fame. Uh, while I'm there, I'm also conversing with a good friend of mine, Sean, the boss bossman, who handles their play-by-play and does some ring announcing for them and all that. And he and I, good friends and all that, but we regularly go back and forth because we have completely different philosophies on what a play-by-play or anybody in that booth should represent. So I think what to answer your, your question, what makes a good color, a good play-by-play, anybody on commentary, I, I think it is you, you have to define yourself. You have to know what you want to achieve, what your direction is, and, and really just hone that style. Uh, and to me, it's a number of things. You know, number one, you, you've got to put over the product. And in the product, there's a, there's a huge umbrella. That's the promotion, the actual event that night, future events. You've got sponsors. You got the venue who's running different things, and then ultimately you have the talents themselves. I mean, they are they are out there ninety five percent of the time. You know, this is their passion. This is their heart. Their souls are into these things. What they're doing there. I don't care if they're green. I don't care if they're great. If they're anywhere in between, they're giving you everything they've gotten there. So, to me, overall, for anybody on commentary, the job is to paint the perfect picture of the artist in the ring to complement that in every way. I mean, personally, I don't believe my job, especially on the indie scene, because those that are going to be watching us, they understand pro wrestling. You don't have to call every every move to me. To me, that's that's just ridiculous. If you're watching an indie show, you know headlocks and hammerlocks and the different variations of suplexes. Uh, to me, it's about putting over those other things. I, I need to tell the story of why you should be invested in maybe there is a program going on between these two and it's spilled over from another promotion or shows you haven't been a part of that you might not be familiar with. I want to bring you up to speed on that. Also, any talents, I just want you to know about them individually, their journey that got them to that point in the ring. 
Why have they chosen to give their heart and soul to professional wrestling? What is that persona about? Why, why is this dark? Why are they so happy-go-lucky? Why are they full of life? Outside of that as well, these individuals, they're, they're making very little money on in the independent scene. They're shilling merchandise as well. They want you to follow them on social media. The more shows, the more backing that they can get from the fans, that equals more dollars for them. So obviously, I'm out there. I'm even dropping. Let's say that I was calling like a Ben Hameen match. who's going to come out as a heel. And I'm usually on the baby side of things. I will find in a way to twist in there to drop pro wrestling tees backslash Ben Hameen. But within a way of, you know, you wouldn't believe this guy is so cocky and so arrogant. He thinks that people will actually go to pro wrestling tees backslash Ben Hameen to pick up his merchandise. You know, something like you, you got to put that twist on it. One of the, you know, techniques that I have coined is instead of just going with uh, using the talent's name, I'll use their social media handles. Interesting. So you know what to like follow that. them. I like that. So you know the one that I that always sticks out to me is the first one I did. Climbing all the way up to the top rope, he should get ready to fly. It's at Zoe underscore Sky. You know that was one of the first ones that took off for me. It, it, it stuck, and people are like, well, I really like that. Can you drop more of those for me during the matches? So that, and, and usually for me when I'm on mine, I'm more of a Morallo. I'm always at a seven. I'm talking with that enthusiasm. But when when I say about calling moves, it's not like I don't call any move. I save those for big spots. When I know it's important, there's a high impact. Then I go up to a 10. Then I'm letting you know what the move is. I'm letting you flow with that match as I'm plugging those other things. Like a bossman, he sits there and calls plays the whole time. Calls them, calls a move the entire time. So there, there's, there's different styles. There's different passions. So when people say like they can't stand a Michael Cole, you have to understand what his job is. I think Michael Cole is incredible at what he does because it's distinctive. He is there to sell. He's a pitch man. He's more worried about sponsors. And making sure that you know that there's other programs and things going on. Because for the most part, they're thinking to yourself, yes, I am educated enough to know what's going on in that ring. And I don't need to be told and had my hand held every match on a Monday night. When Michael Cole has to turn it on, he's fine at turning it on and calling a match. Yeah, my biggest issue with Mitchell Cole is how he's produced, unquestionably. And that's kind of a WWE plague that goes on with all of the announcers, whether it's Vic Joseph or... Tom Phillips. Well, actually, not so much with Tom Phillips, because I'm pretty sure Tom Phillips is just a robot clone of Mitchell Cole. Um, I don't think he actually has any kind of personality. Uh, Rick, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. If you are putting together your all-star three-man booth, who would you put in the booth? Well, I always get yelled at because I'm, I'm called that I, I'm told that I'm so cocky and arrogant when I'm around other voices here in Ohio. And I say, I always say, Hey, somebody has to be, so I'm going to start with myself. Well played. Who do, who do you want as your color guys then? Or gals? And I'll tell you what, I, I have been so fortunate to, uh, I'll give you two. You know, I'll do one here locally for me, people that I would love to work with. Uh, or even people that, that I know, uh, you know, who I'd really love to sit in a booth with and on a color would be big Ray. Yeah, Big Ray would be great on commentary. I think Big Ray would be great. A gentleman that, that I regularly get to sit in with, he, he works. His alias at the table is Chris Wallace, uh, otherwise known as uh, Sergeant Ledbetter, <laughs> who is an independent wrestler around here. Uh, he's great. Oh, man. He, there's so many. I'm, now I'm, I'm switching out of just the, the fun fantasy bars. Too. If I'm putting together a three-man booth, and I'm not even a big fan of the three-man. I, I think at the center of it all, uh, I'm going to give it to is Riccoboni. Okay. Is this all time or active? Active. Like if you were putting together your your favorite announced team, 
Who, who's going to be your three? I'll go with Rick Abani, Nigel. Nigel is on my list. I got Nigel. Oh, man. I'll kick it to you while I'm thinking here. Well, you know, here's my three. My play-by-play guy is going to be Kevin Kelly, although I, I did seriously think about Ian Riccoboni as well because I think Ian is seriously underrated. I just love Kevin Kelly's style, whether it be calling moves, advancing storylines. He just absolutely knocks it out of the park for me. Nigel, I think, is the best heel commentator in the game. I just think the credibility that he has from his past career, the way that he just describes to you what that feels like. Yeah, you can look at that move, but Nigel knows what it feels like, and he can tell you what it feels like. I think he's just fantastic at that. And my third guy, I'm going to go with the most underrated commentator in the world of professional wrestling right now, Caprice Coleman. Caprice Coleman is freaking fantastic, and that's why I didn't go with Ian Riccoboni because I didn't want two ROH guys. Absolutely. And, and I think ultimately, I'm, I'm down with your three there. I'm still having trouble with my third. I'll have to sit on I'm going to play. I'm going to play the fifth on that one. To go way back to what you were, what makes a good, and everyone's, well, this person's bad. It's not that anyone's good, but you have to understand those styles. What makes them good is what is what your, as the consumer, what your flavor, what your palate is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a valid point. So let's uh, let's take a look at another edition that we had on Monday Night Raw. Well, it's not really an edition. This is kind of week two of it. Rick, we had five squash matches on Monday Night Raw this week. We had Drew McIntyre squashes Tozawa. Alistair Black takes out Tony Nese. Then we get the interview with Buddy Murphy where they're like, you know, hey, are, are you upset that you pissed off Alistair Black? And Buddy's like, nope, not even a little bit. I'm looking forward to that match when that finally happens. Andrade just goes out and squashes Eric Young, even though not really anybody remembers that Eric Young works for the company. Rowan versus No Way Jose. That was a good squash for Rowan. And then the Viking Raiders, just absolute two jobbers whose names I'm not even going to mention. Five squash matches on Monday Night Raw. Rick, what do you think? Do you like this use of the squash matches on a three-hour show? Well, you, we got to fill some time. And, you know, this is classic techniques. You know, let's take some lower-end recognizable names that, that have some, you know, certain characteristics of their persona. Uh, I know, let's, you know, for example, let's go with No Way Jose. We'll start with him. I know, you know, it's it, it failed with Adam Rose. We've seen it in other places. It doesn't really ever seem to to ultimately get you over, move you up the card seriously. Well, let's go. I mean, let's look at that entrance. I actually went back and watched this thing and prepared for the show because I wanted to make sure it was a proper assessment of, of what we're getting from them. The crowd comes alive. You got a couple, uh, you know, 20, mid-20, 30-something-year-old Mark Tard starting to dance. You know, they're getting into it. They're having fun. Isn't that his job? Try to just bring a little bit of life in there. And then you come out and put the actual star over. I mean, this is classic. I mean, this is going back to the golden days. My only problem there is they never gave No Way Jose a shot. Like ever since he got to the main roster, this is how he's been used. He's never been anything more. He's never going to be anything more. And I actually think No Way Jose, he could have got himself over if they hadn't defined him down so damn far. I agree with you there. You know, that's a conversation for another day, but we're talking about in the context that we're actually being presented here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's doing, he's playing his part. Let's go out there. Let's have a little fun, rejuvenate the crowd, at least get the kids dancing. You're going to get a couple other people in there. And yes, ultimately he's going to get beat, but that's his job. He goes out there. He's going to get, he's going to put a little energy into the arena. You bring out the opponent. They get over, they move on. 
you know, Bello had mentioned this on Wednesday in the locker room. It was, well, I already know who's going to win, so I kind of tune out. Why? Well, they have, this is on WWE. In their 50 50 booking, they have conditioned us more to worry about, oh, who's going to win this match instead of, let's see how they look, how the star looks, and what they're doing to advance the overall program, the bigger program for that star. And in a world where wins and losses do not matter in any way, shape, or form, why do I care who wins or loses? Like, wins and losses are completely irrelevant inside of the WWE unless you're holding a championship. Well, at this, at this point, what the worry should be, okay, no way, Jose, he's out there. And this, hell, you could speak perfectly to this, Jargo, someone who, you know, one of your favorite talents of the last 10 years was in that role before returning to NXT. And that's Tyler Breeze. So you could find appreciation. It wasn't, you you know, oh, I know Tyler's going to lose. Even though I'm a fan, I know he's going to lose. I'm going to tune out. You could find, okay, what can he do right? What can he do where he looks good in this thing? And how can he help his opponent look better? And I think in the case, you had no way Jose versus uh, Rowan, correct? Yep. Okay, so really, all right. So after he comes out, he's dancing. You got the energy. People are popping. Then the focus should be more on what is going on with Rowan. What's his direction? What's going on in that little crate? And, and they kind of told that story. You know, you had the the dancer, the, the party crew start kind of snooping around. And that angered the giant. And then he goes in there and finishes the job. So they tell that story. That's what you're supposed to be intrigued in, not the 50-50 back and forth in the ring. That's what we're losing, the entertainment aspect of professional wrestling. We're relying too much on the floor routine and these big spots instead of developing character and story. And that's what we're getting in the sense of these squash matches. When you talk about Eric Young, hey, let's not forget. I mean, I thought this was this is a perfect placement of Eric Young here. Is And again, you know, there was, let's talk about somebody who is so gifted, so talented, that they kind of missed on, had given the opportunity. Now he's up there in age. He's probably out of time. His window, his closed. Uh, so, yeah, he's sitting there getting this nice payday. He's good in this position. This is a great spot, especially to get some extra heat on Andrade. Because let's remember where they're at, Nashville. Yeah. Eric's, uh, uh, he's hotter than Nashville chicken. Yep. Yeah, and we would see that play out a little bit later on in the show as well. Um, the Tony Nese one kind of bugged me a little bit. Just because Alistair Black could be on 205 Live. Like, he is basically the same size as Tony Nese, and then he just goes out there and squashes him. Um, I think that they could have got a whole lot more mileage out of Tony Nese. You could have had Alistair Black squash somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, not only does this hurt Nese, who, again, he's very talented. He's got so much that he could offer. And a great uh, look. It, it, what it really does is then, well, what you got is Nice looking miserable here and then we're supposed to and then you want us to believe that we should tune in where he's a a focal a strong a horse on 205 live and it was the same thing the same thing with drew mcintyre and akira tozawa well well, you can see in that sense though because drew should be dominating people on 205 live absolutely completely agreed but now you're going to try to push this narrative to me that tozawa is going to challenge for the cruiserweight championship next week you know, and it's like, I feel like you could have squashed somebody other than Tazawa when he already has that program with Leo Rush going on. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's almost, it gives you that same sense of, you know, what was a little bit of a turnoff when I heard that Rey Mysterio was going to challenge for the U.S. championship after I'd just seen the night before, after everything that he had gone through and threw at the beast and still got defeated. It's kind of like, okay. Right. 
uh, Viking Raiders versus a couple of jobbers. I'm fine with it, but how long is this going to go on? Like, I feel like they've just been squashing people for six months. They're the Raw Tag Team Champions. Well, and even outside of that, I mean, why haven't we seen more serious competitors stepping up? Like, give us our chance. We're sick of watching these guys just being fed uh, these chumps week after week. Where, where's our opportunity? Yeah, I, even if it's somebody lower on the card, I'm fine with the Viking Raiders getting a squash win, but can it actually be against somebody? Well, I think, didn't they just recently squash the Major Brothers? Or was that AOP got them? Yeah. No, that was AOP. Yep, that was AOP. Let's talk about Seth Rollins. Uh, Seth Rollins comes out to apologize, and Rick, they played this thing out just like I had laid it out Monday inside the locker room. And thank God, Kevin Owens is 30 IQ points higher than every other babyface inside of that company. And he says, no, I'm not going to team with you against the AOP. I see three different endings here, and they all end up with me getting beat up. So Seth Rollins leaves, and Owens is like, all right, AOP, come on, let's do it. Preferably one at a time, but, you know, hey, come on, let's do this. I absolutely enjoyed the hell out of this segment. There was a lot of people that were very upset that we didn't get, you know, the the full-on Architects of Pain, like, solidify the Seth Rollins heel turn. Just calm down. It's only been two weeks. Let him tell a damn story. Well, that's and that's really what I like about it. As soon as they went through this thing, you know, I kind of I, I buried my my head in my hands like, oh, I was like, shit, Jargo was right. I, I've never wanted you to be more wrong. Thank God Kevin Owens was just like, no, I'm not going to well, do that. And I think, you know, the subtlety of it was so brilliant on, you know, for Kevin Owens there in, in his persona, even from, you know, like, wait a minute, I've, I've done this. I've done this show and dance before. No, I know what's going to happen here. I don't trust you. And even going down to I'll take on all three of you. But he's even smart enough then to say preferably one at a time. <laughs> I, I know my odds, you know, it, for most people would be like, come on, I'll take you all on. And Kevin's smarter than that. Does the scripting on Raw seem a little bit looser to you? I mean, like a couple of weeks ago, we had that off kilter like Drew McIntyre. I like my idea better. You know, here we have Kevin Owens with the preferably one at a time. A little bit later, Drew McIntyre's running his mouth towards Randy Orton. And, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a McIntyre and Orton problem. It seems like you have an OC problem, you know, like the scripting seems a little bit looser. That's got to be Paul Heyman's influence, right? I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, that feels like Paul Heyman. Let the talent, you know, let, let the leash loose a little bit. Let him go out there, have a little fun. Hey, you know, a couple of weeks ago, good friend of the show, Adam Rivera, he, he went live following uh, the, you know, into the dark match. And he went out there and just gave Drew McIntyre a live microphone to hold the audience while they were setting up the cage for his match against the Fiend. And it was absolutely, it was, it was incredible. You know, he's out there, he's working it. You get to see the actual personality, see what he can do. And, and it felt authentic. You know, you, you felt like it was him and you're seeing these little drops in here. You're seeing all these one-liners from these talents that we've been asking for a while. Just let them be themselves, let them go and they'll take it to that next level. Now I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But I will say, maybe we should start scripting Lana a little more. Oh my <laughs> it seems when, when she has to think on her feet. <laughs> That's, hey, and you know, I've been a proponent. I've been, I've been promoting. I've been helping. I'm on the positive side of that program. But whenever she's got to fly on her own, oh, good luck. Just awful. Just awful. Uh, we'll talk about Lana and Lashley here in a second. Um, I got that impression out of Seth Rollins too. Like Seth Rollins actually felt genuine. Like I'm, I'm just trying to help. 
You know, like, why are you guys just, no matter what I say, you guys are going to spin it into this negative way and make me look like an asshole. I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to make this show better. And even when Owens is like, hey, I see how this is going to go. And Seth's just like, fine, dude, screw you. I'll leave. Like, you know, the hell with it. It's not worth it. What do you think of this, this direction with Seth Rollins? Well, as you said, this is something... I think it's going to be very tricky. You know, people, they wanted that instant gratification. And I can understand that to a sense because they, they want that moment. They just, I, I think a lot of it has to do with they don't trust the WWE to actually go through with it. So it's like, just do it so we know that's the direction. Uh, but right now they, they do want to try to tell this story. that They're trying to drag this thing out. They're trying to get some steam behind it. I'm okay with that. But I am of that mindset of not so much that are they going to get it right, but do it in the right time. Don't let this thing jump the shark to the point like, okay, you had that opportunity where we should have, you know, made, made that, drawn that hard line to define what Seth is, but you missed it. Now we're sitting here six weeks later and we're still teetering in this gray tweener area. What I I'm, want that. What I'm worried about is that this Monday on Raw, they are going to advance this story about six weeks into the future so that they can set up a match for Sunday at TLC. That's my biggest fear that all of a sudden, like AOP comes out, you know, and they drag Kevin Owens off after the mashup with Lashley, which kind of leads to the whole chaos with the Lashley, Lana and Rusev angle. But like, I'm halfway expecting for AOP to just like gift wrap Kevin Owens and deliver him to Seth Rollins, you know, and set up this big match leading into TLC. And that's not what I want at all. Like I, I would have rather had like AOP come down and start whipping the shit out of Kevin Owens Seth Rollins comes and makes the save. Maybe Seth Rollins isn't the bad guy here. Maybe Seth Rollins is actually just trying to help and then set up the TLC match for AOP versus Rollins and Owens. And that's where you solidify everything and bring everything together is at the pay-per-view. I'm just, I'm terrified that they're going to rush through everything that should have happened over the course of six weeks in about six minutes this Monday on Raw. You know, to me, if you're going to do this thing, and I'm talking about, you know, dragging this thing out, to me, the moment to define it is at TLC. Yeah, no, you I know, agree. When's, when's the last time that we had one of these big, happen, these big, just defining moments at one of these network events? Because they know you're locked in. They've got your 999 for that. They're worried about doing these things and rushing things. So they, they just waste them on television stuff. Uh, just off the top of my mind here, just spitfire. You know what I'd really like to see here this week in some setup, you know, have Seth come out here. I, I told you I haven't had anything to do with the AOP. I'm, I'm here because I love Raw. Tough love. I want to see us succeed. Kevin Owens, I know you're a great talent. I, I try to light your fire there. To prove you, to prove to you, tonight I'm going to take on the AOP myself in a two-on-one match and have them whoop Seth's ass. They put him through a table. Power slam to a table or something like that. Then you're thinking, okay, Seth, he sacrificed himself. And even have Kevin, like maybe at the last minute, like, you know what? I don't trust you, but in case it gets out of hand, I'll be ready to come to your aid. And have Seth be like, no, I, I don't want you to. I don't want anything. I need to do this myself to prove it to you, to prove to the locker room, and prove to the universe I am committed. He goes out and loses. So, okay, you're thinking, okay. Well, then at TLC, have Seth actually make that turn then. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fully on board for all of that. 
Um, unfortunately, it seemed like this entire Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens angle was just a way to get to your favorite segment on the show, Lashley and Lana and Rusev. Of course, we see Owens versus Lashley and then AOP come out, drag out Kevin Owens. And we're left with Lana and Rusev or Lana and Lashley. Rusev comes over the balcony or the barricade. Jesus, I can't even fucking talk today. I can't even organize my thoughts. That's how bad this freaking angle is. Rusev comes in, gets him some, takes off again through the crowd. Lana and Lashley end up getting arrested because Lashley bumps into a Nashville police officer. Rick, they should have known better. Anybody with a brain knows that Rusev is over like Grover in freaking Nashville. Him and Lana used to go to all the Predators games. They're well known throughout Nashville. They're not going to arrest Rusev for getting in there and kicking your ass when you fully goddamn well deserve it. Lana should have known better. Lashley, he bumps into that police officer. He gets a little bit of a ride downtown. This angle is awful, and they're going to, like, quadruple down on it this Monday on Raw because we are going to have a live divorce Monday on Raw. Are you kidding me? So we're getting the fucking stupid. Hold up. We're getting divorce court? Yeah. That's one of my favorite shows. Monday on Raw. That's one of my favorite shows. If Judge Lynn Toller isn't there, I'm going to be pissed. Absolutely love it. Hey, I'm not giving up on this thing. I, I know oh. there, there's plenty of plot holes in it, but, it, but in the, even in the cheesiness of Lana, that's what that's what you need to embrace. This is this is bad reality television at its absolute finest. It's I mean, bad television, a, a complete, that's for sure. A complete alternative here. Hey, I, I do want to say, what what does your boy the RBV, Bobby Lashley, Bob Lashley, and Lana have in common now? I'm terrified to ask, but what? All three of us have been arrested in Nashville. Hey, well, there you go. There you go. And for damn near the same charges, public disorderly conduct. <laughs> oh, that's just that's just too much. But yeah, here's, you know, and we keep going back, you know, just certain tweaks I think would make this thing pop more for a more broader audience. Again, you know, go back to the to the details. We know that when you file a restraining order. It works across state lines. So we, we don't have to keep going back to this notion that in every state, every little town you go to, you have to refile. And I know they're trying to hammer home the point that they keep doing this, but it continues to not work. So they have to try to refile, refile. You shouldn't have even been doing that. People realize it's going to be Rusev. You know, going back to when it first happened, it should have been Mr. America too. At Starcade, it should have been Black Scorpion. Black Scorpion uh, here in Nashville. I mean, hell, you could have gone with a number of disguises. He should have been the predator. Yeah. I mean, that would have got the huge, the huge pop from that home audience. And as you said, the tie in when those two were all been all over social media for years. I mean, they're like a CM Punk at a Blackhawks game. Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows. Yes. I mean, hell, you, you could have done so, so many things down there in Nashville. All the great, you know, country music legends. You know, he could have came in as or something along those lines. There was a number of directions and they should be doing that every time. And then have them, you know, in, in great form, have the, the play-by-play team, have your commentary crew, like no-selling that thing like crazy. And I think the king would be perfect in no-selling that stuff. Yeah, that's where Jerry Lawler really excels. Without right. Any I mean, and that would have been, at least in that aspect of this you guys are totally against this won't give it any bit of a chance could find a little bit of a reason to pop in there 
find a little bit of a reason to pop in there. Let's go back to Drew McIntyre. Uh, after Drew McIntyre gets his squash win, he gets on the stick and he calls out Randy Orton. Says that Drew McIntyre has a Randy Orton problem, which I thought was interesting because it sure seemed like we were setting things up for Randy Orton versus AJ Styles. Ah, the OC! They come out to to get them some of Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre makes his exit. And we get the setup for the main event of the show. Ricochet, Humberto, and Ray come and make the save. Uh, Rick, what do you think of babyface Randy Orton? Because you say all the time, it's just Randy being Randy. And it's like, I'm just waiting for this other shoe to drop and Randy to like RKO the shit out of Ricochet. I think, you know, we're going to get that. Man. Hey, we're, we're in the land of the Predators, Nashville. There is no bigger Predator professional wrestling than the Viper himself. He's waiting to strike. He is looking for opportunity. It doesn't matter who you are. It just so happens right now that he has some heels that are at the forefront of that. But I will always stand by. It is Randy just being Randy. That's the, that's where we've evolved to with, with Orton. AJ Styles gets an RKO for his concern. Um, so I'm assuming that we're going to get Randy Orton versus AJ Styles in some way, shape, or form at TLC. Uh, and then we'll, we'll probably go back to this Rey Mysterio, AJ Styles thing. Um, as far as Drew goes, he's just absolutely killing it on the mic. I kind of want to see Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. Like, go ahead and give me that matchup because... Drew isn't going to tower over Randy like he does most of the roster. This is actually a matchup I'm really excited to see, especially Randy Orton seems motivated. Like I feel like this is the most interesting Randy Orton has been in three, four years. I think, you know, it's an interesting dynamic for, for Orton. It, there's a lot of things going on. There's potential for some different opponents. And I think, I think really we are going to get to, even if you revisit it with Styles, I think he enjoyed that program, enjoyed working with AJ, so that you're going to get the best from him. And you got to believe that he's looking forward, really looking forward to working with someone like Drew. I mean, in Randy's mind, you know, he's of he's cut from that old mold. This is going to be like a classic for him. Yeah. These, these are two people that look like professional wrestlers. It's not those little gym rats, you know, flip-floppers, dot-dot-dives that he bickers with on social media. This is another actual professional wrestler. This is a guy that looks like him, that's chiseled like him, that is, you know, has that old-school mentality like he does. I think he looks forward to something like that. Drew McIntyre goes over, right? And for as much as they have defined him down since returning to the red and blue, zero marquee wins, he's just kind of floundered around there, this has to be a defining moment uh, an evolution if you will for him well and the other thing is if randy orton gets the win over drew mcintyre i think randy orton has to be considered roughly number one contender right i mean because that would be a big win for randy he's been picking up wins randy orton doesn't want to get in the ring with brock lesnar again i mean we've heard how that we saw how it went down the last time we've heard about randy's concussion we know that he had a whole bunch of staples in his freaking head after eating elbows from brock lesnar i don't think anybody wants to see randy orton win his what would that be 14th world championship and i don't think anybody wants to see randy orton versus brock lesnar especially randy orton i don't know I, i think you actually you position yourself to sit back and kind of listen to your audience and I, th- I think it's a win-win situation if you move forward in a big program with with Orton, with McIntyre. Because, I mean, obviously you have a, an easy story to tell with Randy Orton. Uh, absolute legend, first ballot Hall of Famer, if you will. But there is that, that dark spot. 
there there is that you know that bad moment when Brock Lesnar. We all remember that you know just laying oh, in the man. blood and and, yeah. and how devastating that was. So you, you have that all that all that the Viper was you know it was calculating, you know just predatorial individual in professional wrestling that will strike against anyone at any given time. Doesn't matter. He's only out for himself, Randy Orton. But there's this one. There's this one instance that will forever cast a shadow over his career, and it is Brock Lesnar. Can he overcome that? And in pursuit of this 14th, you can write that story there. I think that's very interesting. That's enough intrigue in this program with McIntyre where people will be like, man, they're going to go with Orton, which keeps you guessing. That's good. You want to be guessing. You're talking about Randy Orton had to work that program as a baby face. What about a turn? What about out of this thing? Drew McIntyre wins it. And not just like a straight baby where he's pandering, but he is the people they're going to rally behind. I think you got some big money in Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar. I, I will get fully behind Captain Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre, whatever you want to call him, as one of the lead baby faces of Monday Night Raw. I would I personally would rather see Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar than Kevin Owens versus Brock Lesnar. It, it would, would I really present there, and you could write the story with Orton, I say, but I would go with the other direction. And behind McIntyre, I would start a huge movement. You've got the international flavor there. Have him bring people to – he is truly bringing the universe together and where you want to believe in him. It's a rally behind Drew simply instead of what we saw last time. One of the biggest tricks, whoever moves on to take on Brock Lesnar, you have to get people to rally behind that individual and just not about the idea of taking the title away from Brock Lesnar. You know what they're doing. I can see what they're doing. So when we look at the the potential contenders for Brock Lesnar, all right, let's run through them. You've got Drew McIntyre. You've got Kevin Owens. You've got AJ Styles. You've got Seth Rollins. I had another one. Oh, Ricochet. You, you could throw him into that. That's five. You throw Brock Lesnar into the match, and suddenly you have an elimination chamber. I kind of feel like that's what they're setting this thing up for already. One of one of the things that worries me there, though, is with Brock in that chamber and how that, especially so close to WrestleMania, you got to believe that any, you know, on that road there where ratings are going to be at their peak, that's where you're going to make your money. You want to say especially, you know, wh- wherever he ends up, because, you know, Brock Lesnar's such up in the air. And we've heard all these reports with the, the, both of the networks uh, kind of fighting back and forth, really want Brock Lesnar. They really want him to be a focal point. So I don't want him to like, have to go in that cage and beat everybody. Uh, I, I'm thinking back, if I'm going to elevate Drew there to take on Brock, I'm thinking post-WrestleMania. Something that's going to energize and get people invested where we usually see that continued drop-off each and every year. Okay, WrestleMania is over. We don't really have to care again until two weeks till SummerSlam. I guess for me, it kind of depends on, are, are, are we doing Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez at WrestleMania? And if so, does that need the title? Can you take the title off of Lesnar, have that match still be on the card, and then have a WWE championship match as well? We regularly see that argument. Does it need a title? I think absolutely it does. And we're looking at a bigger picture, a bigger pitch to a wider audience on a WrestleMania scale. Everything looks better with a title, especially when you're bringing in these guys for what is their deciding. Every other other 
match between them involved the championship. I don't want to have the blow off, not have it, where it's just for pride. It's going to be that extra spice to make it nice. And it's a great presentation when you're selling this thing on the road to WrestleMania. Now, what I would be interested in is we're talking about a night after WrestleMania. Let's make a let's have a great defining moment then for Drew McIntyre, who emerges. Have Brock Lesnar, obviously, you've got a longer term investment over him, over Kane. He wins at WrestleMania. You got him in the building at night. This road to WrestleMania right here, this is about reinventing. This is about re-energizing Drew McIntyre. So I'd love to have that that night following. Whoever he goes over, it's, I, I think it'd be a tremendous WrestleMania match, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. I can get down uh, with that. And that's that moment where, we, you know, we're even saying these guys are both going to be vying for either Kane or for Brock Lesnar. I can get I'd down love with to that. have Drew. I'd love to have Drew out there in that ring for his moment and hit no chance in hell. Here comes Vince. And this is where we define who he is. And you've slowly been building this, getting the people behind Drew. He's going to go up against the beast now. So you have Vince come out and he's cutting, you know, with this Vince S is one of his grand promos. And he's like, this is what it was all about, pal. I knew you'd have this day. You were my chosen one. You're my chosen one. And have Drew just simply say, you know, to hell with you. I was never your chosen one, but now I am their chosen one. Claymore. To get that universe to rally behind him. Lift them up as a grand champion. Yep. Claymore, Vince's head right off. That'll get you over as a baby face. Let's talk about uh, your girl, the queen, Charlotte Flair. Um, Rick, she went 15 minutes with the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. It took Asuka and Kyrie Sane 15 minutes to beat Charlotte Flair. I hated this. I hated everything about this. Uh, WrestleMania 34, Charlotte, when she broke Asuka's streak, she beat Asuka in 13 minutes. But it takes 15 minutes for the Kabuki Warriors between the two of them to beat Charlotte Flair. I hate everything about this program. They're setting this thing up so it's going to be Becky and Charlotte versus the Kabuki Warriors at TLC for the women's tag team titles just so Charlotte can get her goddamn grand championship bullshit and we can go back to Becky two belts. Becky Lynch is completely irrelevant in this entire thing. She hasn't even been on TV for two weeks. Rick, the Charlotte thing is just awful. Where has Becky been? She, she's been working dark matches. They're just keeping they just her off of TV. They just haven't utilized her on top. Okay, what kind of sense does that make? Yeah. One of the hottest like, commodities, not, not just for this program, but one of the hottest commodities in your entire company. Yeah, and, and you got her working dark matches. What the hell sense does that make? I, I don't get that at all. Okay, let's I mean, let's, let's go over to the to the situation at hand here. The, the one, you know, and it's, it's incredible. It's been overcast here the entire morning, but the moment you under... Those precious words, Shar Shar, or Charlotte. You know, they, they, the clouds just kind of parted. The, the, the sunshine is now coming through the window here. It's a, such a beautiful thing. So, again, thank you, Charlotte, for, for that blessing. I got to agree with you on this one, man. And I'm okay with the direction of the match. It's just they missed the mark completely. You, you see the fire, the hunger here from Charlotte. She is the alpha. She, it, it remind us that she is one of the absolute best in the world because – she has taken a step back and okay with that. You know, she doesn't have to always be at the forefront, but we need to be reminded that at times. And it's not that that she should be out there handling the tag team champions, but this is personal. This is very personal. You're going out there fighting with everything you've got. I'm okay with that story if this match ends at eight minutes. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Clearly. There is no reason this match went 15 minutes. I'm okay with everything that happened if you cut it in half. Yeah. And we have been, I don't even know how long it's been that we have been talking about something seems off with Charlotte, other than the fact that she's slowly evolving into Cher, um, th- which is just creepy how much she's starting to look like Cher. Uh, but evidently, Corey Graves has also taken note that sh- something is going on with Charlotte. On his After the Bell podcast this past week, Corey had the following quote, in my opinion, Charlotte Flair has never felt less important than she does right now. This is Charlotte Flair that we're talking about. She has a resume a mile long. In a few short years, she has cemented herself, if not the greatest female superstar in WWE history. By the time it's all said and done, I'm pretty sure we will be referring to the queen as such. But something about what's happening lately just feels off. This whole tag team thing with Charlotte, finding a different partner every week, just doesn't click. I'm not feeling it, and it looks to me like Charlotte isn't feeling it. You can see it on her face. Charlotte Flair looks like she is going through the motions night after night. Rick, we have been all over this for months. If the freaking company guy, Corey Graves, the shill of all shills, is saying this, this is a real freaking problem. Well, and again, though, what, how much stock are we putting in of the accuracy and the, the, the authenticism of, of what Corey is saying? Well, I think the, the reality is that this is, to me, a, a kayfabe in a different sort of way. He is going out there and he is saying what everybody is already saying. Just, you know, this is this is like the WWE conscience. We're self-aware that this conversation is going on. We're having this conversation ourselves. That's very much the way that it comes across to me. But then fucking fix it. It's Charlotte Flair. This is she should be one of your top five people inside of the freaking company. And instead, we're building this entire tag team story around Charlotte Flair that also involves the hottest commodity inside of the company because it's going to end up being Becky that's going to end up teaming with Charlotte so that they can go and win these stupid tag team titles that they never should have fucking introduced to begin with because they don't have the roster depth for it. And the entire story is still about Charlotte. But Charlotte doesn't even want to be doing this story. You can see it. She is just going through the motions. Authenticity was the word I was looking for, but you're actually, you know, we've been talking about just going back. We first pointed it out at the WrestleMania press conference when they announced that they were heading to Tampa. Something seemed a little off and it's because she, it's how many people are starting to try to mold Charlotte. into something that maybe wasn't her intention. They're taking her into that corporate, you know, where she is a talking head and they're, Look at the, the drastic change in her looks, cosmetic, uh, even her personal life evolving, you know, where she is. And it's tremendous. She's happy in a relationship. But, you know, before again, you know, before all this, when it was social media, it was her in the gym, you know, was working on her craft. Now it's PR, you know, hitting radio spots, interviews. It's weekends on the beach in Mexico. Hey, she lost that direction. We were talking about a minute ago. I mean, she can't always be at the forefront. You got to pull her back at times. That's okay. But even in pulling her back, they've still made her the forefront because she is the women's segment on the show. For God's sake, they're not even putting the women's champion on the show so they can tell this story with Charlotte. 
And, and I think, you know, going to that bigger story, and I, you know, I was talking every moment ago where I hope, hoped you would never been more wrong. Uh, heard Strangler Steve say something Wednesday in the locker room that he, he fully believes that this is all leading towards Becky versus Charlotte at WrestleMania. And, and the great Strangler Steve, I, I think, you know, on the Hollywood Media Group, from all the great minds that have worked inside the business that we have, I put Steve, you know, argued that he's number one. And I've never wanted him to be more wrong there. But, you know, he makes a great case that they're going towards that. And this could be the groundwork in that direction. Yeah, it's just it's really bad. Do you make anything out of her and Andrade going out and trademarking Ashley Flair and reclaiming the La Sombra trademark? Uh, not too much. You know, I think that's more of a, a business move. And it, that could that could also be involved something. I didn't fully look into it. Uh, was it an international trademark? I'm not sure. I didn't look See, that far it, into it. You know, to me, it could be something that they're they're exploring down in for some programming in Mexico or something like that. Hmm. Uh, it, it to me that it could be a side project. It yeah. might be something where they've seen the success of some of these other reality television programs. So we might be looking at a hybrid of Total Divas, Total Bellas, Ms. and Misses. Maybe they want to pitch something like that because as we're talking about, she's becoming more corporate, more PR, which she continued to evolve that way. And their relationship is becoming more public. It is more out there. Maybe they, they just want to start shopping those ideas. You know, wrestling can't go on forever, especially for a female. You, you look at all the short terms, relatively short term success she's had. But, you know, when you're comparing a, a female's run versus a male run, it, it's just the longevity and the difference in the careers are so drastic. Yep. And when this wrestling thing is, is long gone, she can go into being a share impersonator. Let's go ahead. Let's shift. And let's talk let's about Andrade not to go on any ski trips. Yeah. Oh, well played. Uh, let's talk about NXT. Uh, the matchup was supposed to be Damian priest versus Killian Dane. That was the only match that was advertised for this week's NXT Damian priest out with injured ribs, which I kind of stooged off Monday inside of the locker room. I'm not sure that was public knowledge, but sure enough, now it is. Um, and so we had Pete Dunn instead step up and he falls to Killian Dane in this matchup. Rick, I think Pete Dunn has lost more in NXT North America in a span of about six weeks than he did his entire run over in NXT UK. And suddenly Pete Dunn, he just, he doesn't feel unbeatable anymore. Well, he certainly has lost that mystique. And, and you, with each loss, you're starting to feel, you're starting to feel that fade. Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, it was, you know, remember when he would, you know, he'd make those rare appearances coming ahead. You were at one of them in, in NXT Chicago. Yeah, the greatest Chicago. match I've ever seen live. P Pete Dunn versus Tyler Bate. It was fantastic. Yeah, and how it had the universe buzzing and people clamoring for more of these individuals. And, you know, really this, that's what you could say set everything in motion that really sparked that fire for NXT UK. Yeah. That brought that demand to, you know, the grander audience of the universe saying, OK, we can get behind this. This is their style. These guys are going to lead the way for a whole new promotion, a new brand. You're going to have an undercard filled with individuals talented like this. And you're, this is what's going to We're excited. Think of how far that he has come and how we perceive him and just and I, I think it's still in a positive. People want the best. They haven't given up. But the enthusiasm isn't is there. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um, and especially losing to Killian Dane. 
I mean, I come on here all the time and I talk about how, you know, Killian Dane hasn't been rehabilitated at all since he went back to NXT. He needs to get some wins so he has a little bit of credibility. I didn't mean against Pete fucking Dunn. Do you see any much upside for Killian Dane at this point? I mean, I'm, I still am having trouble getting a, a read on his direction. I don't know if they're just giving him some big wins so he seems relevant, so then he can come in and continue to put over some of the other big guys. Or if if somebody is in his corner fighting like, hey, man, let's try to give him that other push. I mean, you go back. Let's talk about somebody that, that once we were so high on, people were wowed by. Going back to that War Games where he really stole that show. You know, what he can do athletically is simply incredible. Then just with the dissolution of – of sanity and just no direction of, you know, once they got called up, just had no idea what to do with them. And they all kind of faded. And it really seemed that Dane at that time, I mean, he was really that odd dog out. They sent him home for a while, didn't they? Yeah. Didn't yeah. even have him out touring. Yeah. He was uh, completely off TV and everything. Yeah. I mean, so maybe, maybe that was a blessing in disguise at the time. So, you know, he's a little bit forgotten. So, okay. Now we can come back, give him a new direction. But I still, I just have trouble really just, you know, wrapping my hands around what, what is his stealing? What is his purpose? Coming out of that, we end up having the Undisputed Era, minus Bobby Fish. Um, not exactly sure what's going on with Bobby Fish, because everything that I had heard made it sound like Bobby Fish was up and walking around just fine after he was dropped over the top rope and Roderick Strong came in, filled in for him in that match. I had heard Bobby Fish was fine, but he was sure kept off a of TV this week. Undisputed Era come out without Bobby Fish. And he t- Undisputed Era talks about how they took over Raw, they took over SmackDown, embarrassed them at Survivor Series, and this is how I get treated. I get treated like a rag doll when Keith Lee comes and just throws me into the freaking audience, which is still probably the greatest gift that you're ever going to see. Um, Keith Lee comes out, makes his statement, I had thought that they were going to slide Keith Lee kind of into that like Roderick Strong versus Keith Lee for the North American title. Rick, it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like they're going all in with Keith Lee and they're going straight to the big boy belt. He's in this conversation to go up against Adam Cole at the next takeover. Well, obviously, talking about what we saw at Survivor Series weekend, if it would be takeover and what we saw at the marquee on Sunday – the real winners, the standouts, the breakouts, the superstars, Keith Lee was right there. We, we had three names. There was Baszler, there was Cole, and Keith Lee. And obviously, they've taken notice, and they realize here they got something. Uh, so while it's hot, let's capitalize on this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I was just I was a little bit surprised to see him push him all the way to that main event, and I can't help but wonder, like, is this one of those Vince McMahon things where he's like, hey, Hunter, I... I want that big black guy in the main event. Yeah. I think he's really good. I like him. Just seems kind of out of place to me. Or is it a, uh, in case, hey, I, not where Vince is saying he's got to represent your yellow brand, pal. It's, goddamn, I'm taking him. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm, he's mine. He's mine after WrestleMania. He's one of my big moves. Yeah. I, I think that's a real possibility. Then we have so, Sh- you know, if, if that's the case, then you're Hunter and them. You're saying, shit, we got to get what we can out of it. Right. Uh, Shayna Baszler comes out. She squashes Zia Lee four minutes and six seconds. Rick, I like this because Zia Lee is somebody who's been winning against lower people inside of the company, like going out and getting wins against people like Aaliyah, against people like Vanessa Bourne. Okay, well, let's throw her in there for a singles match with the champ and see how it goes. 
Shayna Baszler chokes her out in about four minutes. Like, to me, this is how you build up somebody's character. Absolutely. And, you know, we're sitting here. It's it's championship Saturday. And by the way, Baylor's winning right now. Are they really? Yes, up by three. But it, it reminds me a lot of college football. And you're talking about mid-majors. And you see these teams on the rise. Okay, yeah, you know, we're beating the teams from the MAC. You know, we're beating the Conference USA teams. We're looking good. Okay, you know what? We're going to schedule an Ohio State. Yeah, see, you know? see and, how you compare to the elite. Right. You know, it's it, hey, it's a good comparison. I'll, do it right. I'll use two of my teams. Um, University of Cincinnati, 330, uh, you know, as we're sitting here recording this afternoon. So in an hour or so, uh, they're going to play for the American Athletic championship they're a strong mid-major they're playing memphis well what happened you know and they've they've got two losses on the year they've one of those losses came in the hands of ohio state 55 to nothing so hey you're doing great you're killing it the mid-card big wins people are excited about your program you're moving up the rankings and then you get the champ you get the number one the top and they put you down it's very humbling, but it gets that audience that, you know, gives you a measuring stick of where you're at and it, either the audience can say, okay, you're, you're nothing or they can say, okay, we're going to rally behind you and watch you get better to build back up to that next opportunity. And it makes the champ look great. Good stuff all the way around. On the other hand, the Forgotten Sons reappear. Rick, the Forgotten Sons come out and they win a squash match. And to be completely honest, I had forgotten about the Forgotten Sons. They're still uh, about as relevant as they were before this match. Like, this is just not clicking for me. These guys are getting borderline X-Pac heat. Like, nobody cares. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody wants to see you win. Nobody wants to see you lose. It's just nobody wants to see you. I don't know if it's to that extent. It's just, I mean, it, it's you've become like the Divas division. You're a bathroom break. <laughs> There you go. You know, you go. it's not it, it's not that people are just indifferent. You're there. And this falls back to as well, where did they ever define who they are? They never give us a real direction. It was kind of like, okay, they're here. They're the Forgotten Sons. They don't want to be forgotten crazy. anymore. So right. we're going to leave them off TV for the next six weeks. So you forgot about them. Damn. Like, just start and stop. Doesn't work. Uh, we're supposed to have Rhea Ripley take on Dakota Kai. A little bit of a bait and switch here as Kai comes out. Ripley comes out and says, you know, Dakota, sometimes you just you got to deal for unexpected things. And Mia Yim comes running out of the back like a torn up badass. And she gets her some of Dakota Kai. Enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, and then as Ripley's watching and enjoying the scenery, enjoying watching her girl Mia Yim whip some Dakota Kai ass. She is greeted by Shayna Baszler, Marina Shafir, and Jessamyn Duke, and Ripley goes to sleep. Finally, they have given Shayna Baszler a little something in this feud because this has been Ripley over strong, over and over and over. Every exchange, Rhea Ripley is getting the better of Shayna Baszler to the point where I was saying when this match happens, Baszler's going to choke this bitch out. That match is finally going to happen, Huckleberry. It's going to go down in two weeks on NXT TV, December 18th. They're kind of putting together a little mini takeover. It's going to be Rhea Ripley versus Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women's Championship. Baszler's going to choke that bitch out. It's going to you know, happen. It, so it, it continues on. We will not be surprised, but, but each and every time you get a little more intrigue, a little more interest. 
And I think now it's it's really got to be at its peak, seeing the breakout and how she shined on that you know on that road to and then over that big Survivor Series weekend. Well, I guess here's the two popular opinions, right? Either Ripley wins it here, and then we get a rematch at Takeover, or Baszler wins here on some nefarious kind of way, and then Ripley wins at Takeover. Either way, I'm expecting that we get Shayna Baszler on the Red Brand. Monday after WrestleMania. I, I think her championship reign will officially come to an end at TakeOver Portland or whatever the hell they want to call it. Okay, I could get behind that. Yeah. Matt Riddle defeats the greatest British wrestler alive, Cassius Ono? Cassius Ono now calling himself the greatest British wrestler alive, which just popped me hilariously matt riddle gets the big win what do you think of ono's return to nxt north america do you like this being his first match back or would you have liked to have seen him like uh cassius ono versus raul mendoza and go out and get a win before matt riddle squashes him like a little bug now is this a full-blown return because i took this as you know this is more crossover promotion reminding you worlds collide yeah, worlds collide. It's introducing, you know, just re- reminding people because one of the things you know that WWE is so terrible about is cross promoting their own brands on their programming. Yeah, I mean, it is rare that you ever get a mention of NXT UK. So to me, this is, and that's the same kind of core audience that you want watching both of those shows. And we saw how NXT UK was treated at Survivor Series. Tony Storm, the first one out of the match, and Walter even gets the bullshit chant as quickly as he was eliminated right you know they're not doing them any favors to me i i took this more as a it's for worlds collide and hey we do have this other program and we're going to do it with someone you're familiar with that we know you love in north america you know in that underground that cult-like following in case you so know in which case do you want him going out there and losing to matt riddle in 13 minutes i, I think in a case of casey Sono, yes it works for him okay I think it works for him. I think he could turn it. He could twist this thing and play it into the greatest British, you know, British wrestler alive. You know, he could go right back home, you know, home of sorts, his new home and and be like, well, I only could do it on our soil. <laughs> yeah. You know, There's always something when it comes to Cassius Ono. Right. Kushida returns from injury. He's set to take on Raul Mendoza. And in typical WWE fashion, I, I need to consult the official rule book and, and make sure, but this it must be in there. If you are attacked on the ramp, on your way to the ring, you are no longer in the match, and the person that attacked you is now the person involved inside the match. That person is Cameron Grimes. Poor Raul Mendoza, even when he's scheduled for a match, he can't seem to have it. But Cameron Grimes goes down to Kushida in four minutes and 50 15 seconds. This one was a little bit surprising and I really hope that we get a rematch because I want to see Kushida and Cameron Grimes go for about 15 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something I know they usually don't do it. I'd love to see this. I kind of take over pre-show because they'll give them time. Yeah. 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 This would be a great, a great highlight. So going back though with the, uh, the replacement on the ramp. So should we go? Is that the uh, tag your it rule or the duck duck goose? Um, I think we just call it the Becky Lynch rule because that's how she won the Royal Rumble last year. Ah, you know. so it's the, uh, the the dirty bastard. Yeah, or or maybe the Nia Jax rule because uh, isn't that how she got herself into the men's rumble last year? Like there's a whole plague of this going on throughout the company. See, I thought the Nia Jax rule was when you're at a drive-in and then you skip a car ahead of you and you just take their order. That, that sounds completely legit. 
What, where the hell is Nia Snacks? Anyway, I haven't seen her in forever. Uh, Champa Lee and Dominic Dickhead take on the Undisputed Era minus Bobby Fish. And of course, Keith Lee pins Adam Cole, which that, that absolutely throws Keith Lee into this championship picture. I hate it when they do this. General Manager William Regal comes out and makes the announcement that in two weeks, Adam Cole will defend his NXT championship for the final time in 2019. And next week, it will be Keith Lee versus Tommy Entertainment versus Prince Balor to see who will be taking on Adam Cole. Huckleberry, who do you like here? Keith Lee, Tommaso Ciampa, or Finn Balor versus Adam Cole on USA in two weeks? You talk about the timing of this thing, and wow, it can make an argument for all three. Absolutely. And, I can make, and on the flip of that, I can make an argument against all three. Yeah. Yeah, like the timing just doesn't necessarily feel right for any of them, but you could justify all of them. And this is one of those things where I wish I knew a little more of what's going on backstage as we're talking about Keith Lee and probably the the urgency, the hunger on Vince McMahon's part. So are they trying to get things in with him? If that's the case, uh, absolutely could see Keith Lee getting this thing. I, I, I Do you want to hold off on Choppa going after Goldie? Yeah, because like that feels like a takeover. Um, yeah. Prince but, Balor. But if you really you want to skyrocket a rating with two weeks yeah. of build. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, see, to me, here, assuming after Survivor Series with Keith Lee, just his his stock just skyrocketing the highest it's going to let's say could potentially be at this point. I would go in his direction and then I move into another side story selling point that I think would be huge. And that's Champa and Baylor. I like that too. Um, but I don't know how we get to either Champa or Balor at takeover. That's my only question because I feel like I, I have to assume it'll be Champa versus Adam Cole for the NXT title. Like, do you hold off Balor until Champa captures the NXT championship? Well, couldn't you do that? I mean, you have that teaser there with Balor Champa. Obviously, the winner of that program would be set up to go into that that filler takeover. Where is it, Portland? Yeah. So that's your that's your match there. Then you could make the change to Champa and go into WrestleMania with Champa Balor. I find it interesting that they are loading up this December 18th show, almost like it's a mini takeover on USA when NXT had first launched on the network. Um, seems like that's going to be a big week for NXT, trying to get some momentum going into the holidays, I have to assume. Well, I think, you know, one of the, I think what's more important, I love how you bring up the holidays, exactly where I was going to go to. Let's look at where we do see dead points in wrestling. And it is around those holidays. And it's because people are in travel. They have parties going on. They have other activities. It's just by the nature of the beast, you see a ratings decline because there's just people are occupied elsewhere. So they might be looking for that last big boom that week, trying to set it off and do something exciting where you do have those, those that hang over for the holidays. Or at least it's fresh in your mind. So when you do sit back down after the calendar flips and you get reinvested, you're getting geared up for the Rumble, you're getting set for the road to WrestleMania, you're still on that high because we had a great, you know, a takeover-esque, a mini takeover, if you will, presented on television. Yep. 
and it's across the board in pro wrestling. I was having a conversation just, you know, last night. I attended a, a tremendous future great wrestling show. And, you know, at intermission, you know, a bunch of us are all talking about our upcoming plans for the next couple of weeks. Battle on the Borders running a huge two-day event. Uh, future greats running shows. Now I'm going up to Rev Pro next Saturday in Columbus to help out with their production on theirs. And you go across the board, all these people trying to get in those last shows, it seems, that 13th, 14th, 15th, and in you know, a little bit into that week because they know the the whole business kind of goes on a little bit of a hiatus because of the holiday. Yep. And then it carries back up right around Royal Rumble time. Let's go ahead. Let's flip. Let's jump to AEW and uh, talk about some of the more perplexing things throughout the week. Um, what in the hell was that? I, I actually, speaking of future great wrestling, uh, someone tagged me in a video from last night. So, oh, I thought I thought you had like a whole fucking party of people over there that were just excited we were going to talk about AEW. We don't have sound issues. Evidently, though, AEW can't find anybody that can run a goddamn soundboard. Rick, this has been going on for 10 fucking weeks now. Like, I, I understand. It's a new company. I understand we got new people that are doing new jobs for the very first time. Fix your fucking sound. I mean, is that really an excuse at this point? I mean, you've, you've No, not at in, this point. Well, I mean, even from the get-go, I mean, you you should be ready to go. And I could see, you know, maybe a, a trip here and there. But, I mean, where it's regular week in, week out, I mean, you've got the Kevin's all the production. You've got the people at TNT that should be at, you know, at your side to help you. You've got an owner. I mean, this isn't their first rodeo. I mean, you own, you have major franchises in major sports leagues that have major productions. Someone should be able to figure this thing out. Yeah. One, of, you know, one of the things I particularly love, absolutely love, you know, with you as my, as my weekly partner, all the shows we do is that you're, you can enlighten us, you can teach us, you can guide us in that direction. And I get to kind of double dip that, you know, when I get to do the AEW reviews with, with MSG, who's in the same profession. And he is all over this stuff, you know, between the sound, what was, here's what's got him in an uproar. And hell, I think everybody notices this thing is realize your commercial cues. Right. Um, and especially it's a little bit strange for me because of the way that I watch AEW, um, because I watch it on demand. Um, and the way that it's format, it's almost like I'm getting the feed through the TNT app. So there's times where they go to commercial, but they don't actually go to commercial. And so you get this, the weird kind of crosstalk and it's like Excalibur still like calling the match. And then you'll have like Jr. and Tony just like talking about random shit while Excalibur's calling the match. It's just, does that have to do with how they're producing it for other markets as well? It very well could, um, because of like the Fight TV app, uh, international right, broadcasting partners. Absolutely. Well, because you know we talked about this on the review this past week on hackerhamin.pobbing.com, uh, Light Diffusion. It was. When they were fin- they were finishing, they were doing business at the commercial break. So we talked on this earlier today, which makes more sense to me that, hey, you know, they're trying to make that commercial that much more important. But in the transition, they would come back and not even mention what we couldn't hear because we were listening to a commercial. Right. They, would- they wouldn't acknowledge it. So I even had mentioned to, to MSG and I said, well, do you think that's because of international? Because they were-, they were talking through it in real time then. So now they're not thinking, okay, we got to review this for our North America, for our American audience on TNT. 
Well, and then there's also the streaming audience, whether it be on Fight TV or the TNT app. And of course, when it comes to the advertising, those are all completely different ad rates. So things can get kind of messy there, but Good God, fix your goddamn sound. I understand professional wrestling is difficult because you have to mic the ring, you have to mic the crowd, and you have to have a live mic in the ring that's not only going through the speakers in the attendance, but it also has a clear feed going through the TV. So that does present a lot of problem that you don't have in like the NFL, that you don't have in Major League Baseball. But Jesus Christ, figure it the fuck out. Because right now, as good as Dynamite looks and as appealing as it is visually, the audio will just turn people off. Absolutely. So let's talk about the actual show itself. Natural Bucks defeat the Inner Circle, Sammy and LAX, the Dead Presidents, Proud and Powerful, whatever the hell you want to call them, Santana and Ortiz. Match goes about 13 minutes. Not a whole lot to talk about other than Dustin Rhodes and Tassels. Really? I was gonna say I, pre- I prefer the Golden Bucks. Oh, the Golden Bucks! I can get behind that. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what that's what we had dubbed it uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, there's some good things in here. It was a high energy. You could tell that they had realized. Uh, obviously, we've looked at the reasons why there could have been a decline in the rating, but overall, you know, just the general consensus was it just wasn't a put well put together show. It didn't move the audience like the previous weeks and all that. So you had the feeling that AEW, they had sensed this, that they knew what the word on the street was. They wanted to come out hungry. They had stacked this card. I mean, they gave us a hell of an announcement even going into this thing, match by match. You come out of the gate with this one here. This is to get them fired up. This is what they represent wrestling watch. You get high spots. It's, it's high energy, high impact. And that's exactly what you got here. Uh, and I, I think it speaks to, even in this style that you see Dustin out there, the vet, you know, hanging with them. Yeah. Uh, one of the spots that we did mention, and as you know, we're talking about was the, uh, what, the 630s one time, mm-hmm. and he kicks out. We thought it would have been a much a nice more, a nicer touch had he used the rope and had the commentary put over, that's the veteran presence. That's what 40 years in this business or 30 years in this business get you, instead of just the usual, kick out, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. All in all, I thought the match was fine. Not a whole lot to write home about. Uh, Phoenix defeats Trent. That match goes about 11 minutes. We've seen Trent get wins over both Pentagon and Phoenix in recent weeks. Seems like they've been trying to protect Trent a little bit. And then he goes out and he gets beat by Phoenix. And there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, it's 50-50 booking. Trent pinned Phoenix in the tag match last week. And this week, you know, Phoenix pins Trent. No, I think there's a whole lot more going on here. And it's because Trent goes and he tries to shake Phoenix's hand. Phoenix refuses the handshake, and then Trent jumps Phoenix's ass. Uh, Rick, last week on the show, we talked about Sean Spears on AEW Dark in the matchup against Penta, where Sean Spears is talking about how, hey, I I really like Trent. I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to show Tully this match. And we were talking about Trent as a potential member of a new style for Horsemen. Is this the beginning of the Trent heel turn? I think we might might be seeing this. But again, on this... Where does Phoenix stand? Because we, we see very heel antics out of him. Is this, you know, Trent, you, you see the sign of respect. It's not taken. Is it just more an aggressive side? He's going to be hungry. I, I want to speak real quick. You're talking about, oh, 50-50 booking. Get out of here with this. This is one of those cases where you need to go below the surface and have an, a, a somewhat of an understanding of what's really going on here. You look at Trent. What has he been known for for the last five plus years? It's the best friends. Mm-hmm. Tag team wrestling. It makes sense to me that they could get the Lucha Brothers in a tag match. You've got two tag teams, specialists at it. 
right. in a singles match. I don't think of Trent in any way there. Now, when I think of Phoenix, yes, because he's been the AAA MAGA champion, whatever theirs is. They're, they're MAGA, the universal champion. He is also an expert at that. He should be ahead of Trent. Yeah. He should get this win. It doesn't matter what happened. It makes sense in a tag match that they could be gotten. But here it should have gone to Phoenix. Yeah, I think they're doing a much bigger story with Trent. And I, I can absolutely support that because the last few weeks he's been putting in the work and he looks like he belongs. So let's give him a shot. Let's talk about Cody. Cody comes out. He addresses the the bunny and the butcher and the blade and MJF. Uh, Rick, this thing's just... I don't understand it. Um, whether it be the the butcher, the blade, and the bunny vignette that they ended up running, whether it be the fact that they didn't even run the MJF promo on this show that explained basically everything that was going on, I didn't even like Cody's promo because Cody's coming out and he's talking and he's saying all this shit and I'm like, why aren't you pissed off? Like, where's the fire? What? Cody can never challenge for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship again. He should be much more pissed off about this than he's coming across. Like he's coming across as like, I'm thinking rationally and I'm thinking logically and I I really want to get my hands on MJF and I don't understand this other thing that's going on, but you know, and it's just like, where's the fire? Well, you know, first shout out to our boy, Seth Kennedy. I I love what he pointed out in this promo. Cody says he, he doesn't work with, uh, absolutes or whatever that is. Yeah. So, and, and then, okay, so what about your uh, your championship thing? So, yeah. should we throw that out? But uh, to me, this is, a, this is a building to a much bigger picture. This is one of those things, okay, where are we going? And I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, when they were laying the groundwork, the, the big pep rally and all this, you know, Cody made a point. Yes, I am a VP. I am the, the front man for this group. I have all this going on. I have to scout all of this talent. I, I'm managing all of these. We have promotional work. We, we just got this business structure. There's so many hats that he has to wear. But through all that, he wanted to remind everyone that first and foremost, it was about in-ring performance, he, that he was a professional wrestler. I think we're getting to a point, and this ties into all these different angles. People going, if it was from Spears, it was from his brother, if it's from the Blade, the Butcher, the Bunny, if it's MJF, you have all these different people coming at him. And then you, you put that onto what he has outside of the ring from in the corporate world, everything coming at him. For him, it's a matter of he has to keep his cool. He has to stay calm and collective. But you can only do that for so long, and you can relate this to anyone in life. You can only take so much before you begin to break or show signs of that. I'm looking at some point where this becomes just so much for him. Okay, how can he handle this all? I mean, is he going insane? Is he going to break? Something's got to give. And that's where I think with this growing roster and when they start getting some, some steam behind some of these other components that they've got, that's when you'll see this thing really start to develop. I'm talking six months plus from now. And then he takes a step back. The order was all wrong for this entire thing. All right. So we have this, this Cody promo. There's no reason that this Cody promo should have happened. There's no reason that we got that vignette later on in the show with the bunny, the butcher and the blade without first hearing this from MJF. Knock, knock Cody. What do you say? Me and you play a little tiny game. Let's live in a world of make believe. A world where I don't come from a family that has more money than the U.S. Mint. 
Who am I kidding? Right, Wardlow? Of course I have money. And with that money, I was actually able to buy the assistance of the bunny, the butcher, and the blade. Oh, that's right, Cody, you and your uh, tiny little Mark Boy fan club weren't aware I was behind that, were you? Shocking. But you know, Roller Coaster, when you are the holder of a $45,000 ring, what's a couple grand really gonna do to my bank account? So now you're in a bit of a pickle, aren't you, Cody? You need to find a friend to help shield you away from those two grotesque monsters and that beautiful bunny. And boy, am I glad she's hopping around here. But that's the thing, isn't it, Cody? You don't have any friends left. And that's exactly why you asked BBB to pick your tag partner. But just so you know, Cody, I genuinely care about your well-being. I mean, you are my best friend, after all, right? My mentor. So I gave him a little bit of insight. I decided to pick the partner for them. And now let me tell you something, Cody. This guy I picked is so good. So good luck, champ. That's right. You can never be champ. And that's all because of me. There you go, Rick. Why did the bunny, the blade, and the butcher attack Cody? Because MJF paid them to. This was all goes back to MJF and MJF having a bigger bank account and MJF being able to basically go buy or hit buy hitmen so that they can go take out Cody Rhodes. None of this makes any sense without that MJF promo. It's all of two freaking minutes. You couldn't find two freaking minutes on this goddamn show anywhere that you could have ran that fucking promo. What the hell, AEW? If you're going to tell the fucking story, tell the fucking story, but you can't tell it all out of order. Well, and, you know, an absolute miss here. And people were so, as you, as rightfully so, as, as you are as well, Jarko, you know, up in ours, where was this on, on television? This was, a, this was a masterful piece that they put together. MJF knocked it out of the park here, absolutely hit the mark on this thing. My only thing with this is, and for us to go find this thing, two point here, uh, it kind of nullified the message from the blade, the butcher and the bunny, because yeah. in their promo, it seemed like it was some righteous move. They're here to cut the head off of this snake. Yeah. The, uh, the vignette makes no sense once you hear yeah. this MJF thing. Yeah. Now it's OK. You know, it, when I what I heard on Wednesday night was, OK, in your mind, you're that, that typical villain where you believe you're right. You're here, you know. Your methods might be insane. It might be underhanded, but overall, you're, it's for a righteous cause. Well, that nullifies all that because now I just know you got paid. You're a hired hand. So that's out the window. It, I, I put this out there on Twitter. I didn't want to be somebody to join the ranks and say and get on. Why wasn't this on TV? And, you know, and just beat that horse. If you're going to insist, and it's okay, I do this in my living, I make my living off social media, it's where I do my marketing and all this. If you're going to insist on using those outlets, those platforms to further drive your product and, and sell your business to the consumer, then you better damn well on television 
hammer home the point that the individuals need to go find those outlets, find those platforms. We're still at an overwhelming majority of your consumer is just tuning in for the programming and watching for your two hours, taking in what they had, enjoying it, dissecting it at that point, and then moving on with their life. You have a very small few inside that bubble like us that, okay, you know, we've got three or four screens going during the show. We're trying to get all the development. We're putting together you know, content for our, for our personal shows, our personal programming. We want to analyze this. We're going out of our way to find it. We are a very small sample group. They need to hammer home that you need to go to these other outlets. I mean, you're talking about finding two minutes to run this MJF vignette. How about 30 seconds to say we have a very important response from MJF, but because he didn't deem you worthy enough to take his time to come to you, he is insisting that you go to him, follow at MJF, blah, blah, blah. And with at, at tonight at 1130, he has promised to release it to us at, at AEW across our social media platforms. Find us at the end. Where is that at? You didn't get any of that. Yeah. It, it, complete mess. This was the best two minutes of AEW TV this week, and it wasn't even on their TV show. Uh, at the last time I looked, it had about 93,000 views on Twitter, the original platform that it was posted on. That's roughly a tenth of your viewership. So a tenth of your viewership knows what in the fuck is going on when it comes to Cody, MJF, The Butcher, and The Blade. Next week... Oh, is, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, next week it's going to be Cody and a partner selected by MJF taking on the Butcher and the Blade. It has now come out that that partner is going to be QT Marshall. Yeah, Cody's looking forward to this, um, and it's so it's going to be the Butcher and the Blade versus Cody and QT Marshall. But next week, when that happens, nobody's going to know. That MJF is the one that selected QT Marshall. Nobody's going to know that the bunny and the butcher and the blade are all working for MJF because MJF has an inabsorbent amount of money. He's trans wealthy, as Track Brown would like to say. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, it, you can't do it half ass, right? Like, my complaint about WWE is they do too much of this shit, right? People complain about New Japan that it's just match, 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 and there's no promos. You can't have it both ways. You have to just, you, you either do it the WWE way or you do it the New Japan way, but this just blending of things, it, it, it's not working at all. So I think there could be a middle ground there, but I mean, it's, you got to find that fine balance. And when I talk about tying in social media, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, I, they're, they're legends, they're, they're tremendous. We were talking earlier about dream teams. You, know, you talk about having Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross next to one another. I mean, it, it, you talk about all-time legends right there. But when you're making that transition, you're trying to push social media. I mean, are those the types of individuals that you want doing that? Are they? Do they grasp the importance of it? No. And this reminds yesterday, uh, I'm out to out to lunch with my grandpa. Great, tremendous lunch. Uh, Buckhead Mountain Grill. Damn, it was freaking good. Man. What, one of the best hamburgers I've ever had in my life. Incredible. We're sitting there enjoying this thing. We have a conversation going back and forth. What's going on in the world? And Grandpa asked, have you heard about this? You heard about these things called smart TVs? <laughs> oh, 
just just absurd. The, the, this fact that they just expect everybody to go do like a couple of hours worth of homework so that they can watch their TV show just pisses me off. It's just the most annoying thing in wrestling. And it seems like every wrestling company does it, except New Japan. New Japan tells you, hey, if you want the promos, you, you want to know what's going on there, you can find it on our YouTube page. You watch our shows, all you're going to get is a whole bunch of matches. Okay. Like, at least I know what in the hell I'm getting myself into. Nyla Rose wrecks Shanna's meet and greet. They did show us video of that. Then she goes out and she squashes Leva Bates, puts Rick Knox through a table, and now she's suspended for the rest of the year. Like, okay. But they still have her, like, number two on the rankings. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Just, why? Let's talk about Chris Jericho. Rick, I love Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Chris Jericho is becoming the fiend. This is not working. Uh, the lexicon of Le Champion, not working. This is three weeks in a row where Jericho has come out and done an elongated talking segment that is more comedic than anything. People are enjoying La Champion. Nobody wants to see La Champion lose. He's becoming the fiend. He's, he's like the most popular guy in the company, and he's supposed to be the biggest heel in the company, but nobody wants to see him lose. We want to be entertained by Chris Jericho. That's not what a fucking heel does. I want to see Jericho get his ass kicked. No, I don't, because Jericho's entertaining as the champion. I love the La Champion gimmick. He's becoming the fiend. Uh, in a sense, in in some situations, yes. I mean, you talk about the pops and the crowd absolutely eating up the, the, the Lexion. And as he's running through everything there, he, you need to pull that back a little bit. But I think with the cockiness, the, the edge that he brings in, I think that dynamic worked against the boys and their dinosaur. Just, I, think it, it, I think it did too. But when you do it three weeks in a row, now it's becoming a pattern. Now it's becoming Monday Night Raw. Well, and, and even more so, you know, we're talking about that connect from social media over I felt like there was there was more not sympathy, but now people are going to rally more behind the inner circle just through being the inner circle. Yeah, it's just it, it just seems completely tone deaf to me, you know. Uh, so we get this whole Jungle Boy thing and they set it up. Rick, I'm assuming that this match is going to have a 10 minute time limit. That's what I think the caveat to this entire thing is going to be. It's going to be a 10 minute time limit match. And I think what's fun about that as well is. Okay, he's given him the opportunity. And, you know, there was this debate. And I don't know who, because even as MSG and I were recording, you know, he was like, oh, we got official news that it's going to be for the belt. So I was assuming that. Well, now that, you know, people freak out, I know we're going to get to this. Geez, we're both hot on this thing. I'm, I'm still stewing from yesterday about this thing. But it, Jericho gives him an opportunity here. So now you're going to think he's going to say, you know what, man? He's like, you think you actually could do this? You made a statement you could do this in 10 minutes. Or I, he said he wouldn't last 10 minutes. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Then we get the stipulation. If he can last 10 minutes, he gets that final opportunity in 2019 to challenge for that belt. Exactly. Now we're giving ourselves some entry. We've got some reason to really invest, and we have a potential for another match going forward. People are going to be hot on the edge of their seat. They love Jungle Boy. They love the two boys in their dinosaur. They love this act. I made a comparison on Wednesday that they are a modern day BWL. 
and not saying I'm trying to line up. This is a Stevie. This is a meaning all this or the talents are there. I'm talking about the enthusiasm, the energy, what they bring their spot on the show, what they can provide. Absolutely incredible. You have Jericho win this thing with like seconds to go. Take it right up to it. But Jungle Boy falls just short and he goes back to where he belongs in the pecking order. Okay, so let's talk about what got us so goddamn hot this week. Um, I got into it in a group with a couple of guys because they were talking about, well, if wins and losses matter, then why is Jungle Boy getting a shot at the AEW championship? Well, number one, you fucking fuck. He's not getting a shot at the fucking championship. At no point was it ever said that this was going to be a championship match. And Cody Rhodes has confirmed on on Twitter now he's wrestling Chris. It's not for the belt. So everybody just calm the fuck down. All right. Number two, Jericho's the guy that challenged Jungle Boy. Not the other way around. Jungle Boy did not earn this match. It was pretty fucking clear watching that promo that Jungle Boy has not earned this match. Like, what? Do they do they really have to sit there with a fucking spoon and feed it to you like it's fucking baby food? I mean, my God, did WWE just completely ruin professional wrestling to the point where, oh my God, I have to think about this for 10 fucking seconds. This is too complicated for my taste. Fucking fuck, man. Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly why. It, this isn't just, as we're pointing this out, this isn't just we're trying to single out a situation, one conversation, one group. This is widespread. I've seen this all over Twitter. I've seen this in over a dozen discussion groups on Facebook. I've seen it on Instagram. I've, I physically have had the conversation with individuals. And you know, and the, the worst just, part, the, the one that really got me was after I showed these fucking idiots this tweet from Cody saying he's just wrestling, Chris. It's not for the belt. Oh, they're backpedaling now. Go fucking flush your goddamn head down the fucking toilet. Jesus Christ. This is absolutely why we cannot have nice things as professional wrestling fans because you individuals that are in stone, etched in stone, the definition of Mark Chard, who are incapable of thinking outside of, of what is spoon-fed put right in front of you. God damn, is this more of an issue to speak of where we're at in society, that everything has to be put on a little platter given to you right there that you have no ability concept know-how to think for yourself to be able to examine it to dive a little bit deeper this goes right back to take a step back walk around look at it from every angle examine this thing no you need to have it handed right to you because you are a complete j-o what is wrong with going forward not just professional nothing wrong with society here absolutely mind-boggling let's say that he was given a title opportunity let's say that that was on the plate that's absolutely okay because, again, this was Jericho who set the table for I am contractually obligated to have one more championship defense in 2019. I am choosing this. I'm going to tell you who the hell it's not going to be. I'm going to tell you who it's going to be. I am the champion. I have built this place. I am guaranteed that. I am owed that. Go out there and use that deadly word I absolutely hate. I deserve that. That is such a modern snowflake term. Deserve, deserve, deserve. That is where we are at here where people think that they should be giving everything. No, you earn things. You don't deserve those things. You have Jared Cook throwing out there. I, have, I deserve to choose my opponent. And obviously, 
being the heel that he is, being the bastard he is, he is going to try to pick someone that he feels that he can pick off. That it's going to be easy pickings for him. That makes sense in that in that narrative. And again, too, yes, I get. And then you can throw the well. They said wins and losses. They said wins and losses. They said they matter. They didn't say they were the end all be all. We have a ranking system. There's a reason that Cody's still involved in the rankings because he sets a definition, a standard. If you can beat him, it's more important in your win column. So again, wins and losses matter in that sense, but they're not the end all be all. It's not just about the tally. It's about the quality. It's about where you're going. It's still professional wrestling. We still have to tell stories moving forward. Mind boggling that people are so fixated on this and they, and they wonder why they can't enjoy the product. You can't enjoy anything because you're a dumbass. This is, this is why people don't watch more new Japan. You know, it's too fucking complicated for them. Number one, they don't speak in fucking English. I have to read words on a screen, and I'm not even sure that these people can fucking read to begin with. Number two, you actually have to use your brain to understand the fucking storylines that are going on. Kevin Kelly doesn't just sit there and say, now this guy doesn't like this guy because so-and-so said this about his wife. Shut the fuck up. You got to think about it. It's a fucking TV show. Jesus Christ. You know, to, to... To parallel society and wrestling, I think, you know, one of the qualifications to actually be able to vote to help guide this country going forward, if you can't understand a simple wrestling story, then oh. you waive your right to actually vote in general elections. Oh, for God's sake. Just absolutely baffling shit, man. Pentagon Jr. defeats Christopher Daniels. Um, I don't know if this is a storyline or what, Rick, but did you see Christopher Daniels just fucking biff it on the ramp? What yeah, was it, that all about? Yeah, a couple of times. It, MSG and I talked about this. And, you know, these guys have been around the world performing together against other individuals each and every time out. You expect excellence. I talked to myself too. Can't you just have a bad night? You get out there with a dance partner, someone that you know. You just don't get along. You know, you and I. We've had bad shows. The, you know, we've had a we've had a four star show here and there. They all can't be five stars, right? But I, I I guess I question it because immediately Excalibur's putting over how you know. Well, Daniels just came back from injury, and you know maybe he's a little rusty. Maybe he's getting too old. Maybe he doesn't quite have it anymore. And it's like, you mean to tell me that Christopher Daniels fucking biffed it like that on purpose like is this actually part of the story or did daniels just biff it you know what i, I kind of like that i didn't pick up on the commentary part of that uh let's look at a bigger picture here you know again these guys are tremendous continually put over aew there's always a deeper meaning they're always telling a, a bigger story and you have to pay attention you have to pay close attention you're going to miss something and could this come in down to a point where he begins to question his worth is it time man look i've been stumbling here I mean, look what happened going into the tag team championship. That was supposed to him, him and Kaz. It was their spot. And they didn't miss a step once he went down. Right. Sky steps right in. They run right through that thing. They're the champs. I mean, that could tell a great story. Yeah. You know what else you could have told a great story with? Follow up to Scorpio Sky losing that match, being forced to tap out. Match that he's been fighting, you know, 15 years for. And he finally gets the opportunity and he taps out to La Champion. And you don't follow up on the story at all. Kind of like, you know, Darby Allen. Where the fuck's Darby Allen? Turns out that he's dealing with a neck injury, but you'd never know it if you watch AEW. They just haven't mentioned him for weeks. Uh, private Party, you know, they, they push the shit out of them. Got wins over Santana and Ortiz and the Young Bucks. Haven't seen him on TV in a couple of weeks. 
Like, just very, very peculiar booking throughout this show. Chris Statlander defeats Hikaru Shida. Speaking of questionable bookings, Hikaru Shida, the number one contender, and then she goes out and she lays an egg against Chris Statlander. Match goes about nine minutes. And this whole thing was set up so that Kong and Brandy can come out and have this interaction with Statlander, and then they pull a fan out of the crowd and they shave her fucking head. And I mean, if you ever wanted to talk about a segment that was overbooked to the gills, this was it. Well, you're, you're talking about shaving time, no, no pun intended there, uh, and trying to fit in these these other, you know, just fill-ins, you know, give us an update. You couldn't take two minutes from this shit to show me that MJF promo? Absolutely. I don't understand. I don't even understand why we really even needed this match. No, and, and the worst part was this might be the best women's match that they've had in AEW. Like, I really enjoyed I the match. It, it, it didn't do anything to move anything forward. You could have came out and had this segment where they're looking for someone that wants to join the collective or the order, whatever the hell. What is the, the bigger one? The Nightmare? What is it? Uh, the, well, there's the Nightmare Collective, which is a derivative of the Nightmare family. Okay, so you got who wants to join the nightmare family? And I'm okay with that. I know some people are getting confused. Why are we doing this with this, you know, this inner group, a group within a group already? I'm okay with that. Because with the family thing is you could you could widespread that to include fans and get a movement going. Uh, I know that hey, I actually I think it would be tremendous in professional wrestling. They go out there and just start encouraging people to hey, upload us shaving your head. I think that would be great. Hey, but does but, that make me part of the Nightmare Collective? Like, was I just ahead of the curve? Uh, Am I like grandfathered no. in? No, you're just a nightmare. I've, I've just talked too much shit about Cody over the course of the years and yeah. won't let me in. I came around, though. Uh, well, you're still waiting for him to send you all them checks yeah. from LIJ. Los Ingobernables. Hey, upon. That's another we didn't $50, even need this Mr. Match. We didn't even need this match. And my bigger thing is I think people were soured on this. I'm still digging this thing. I think Brandy is absolutely brilliant in, in what she's doing and her delivery here. I love this concept of, you know, you look at Brandy. She's so beautiful. She's so graceful and talented. But she's still bully. You know, people still questioning if she earned where she is at. Do they respect where she is at? And she takes that to heart. And now she's flashing back out. And you have somebody like Kong that beast who obviously we've seen the ridicule. Oh, that's not a, that's a freak. That's a sideshow. You know, they're not respecting her as a woman. You know, so you have that there. And then she can, she has that raw energy, that power to actually take care of it. You have them together. And there's so many other individuals, no matter what walk of life you've come from, they can speak to that. And that's what this family is about. And they're creating this cult culture where it's, you know, I heard people, well, what the, what's the hair thing mean? Well, again, idiot. Do you, have you ever followed society? You understand what cults are about with they're asking you to, it's ultimate surrender of yourself, especially for a woman. It's a sign of beauty. It's a sign of your identity or what society has made you to be. You're shedding those locks. You're shedding those shackles. That's what it's all about. And, and that's what it represents. And that's what they're bringing to the table here. I just think they got, so AEW is a very dark place right now. And just people naturally of the, what's out there on the on the plate for everybody they're naturally going to shit on this yeah i mean between the collective and the dark order and the butcher and the blade and the inevitable now it seems appearance of marty Skrull, like yeah aew is definitely a very very dark place uh speaking of evil and darkness that brings us to john moxley and joey janela um rick this match more than any has stood out to me as wwe versus independent wrestling 
And when I say that, I mean, watch how Moxley moves in the ring. Watch how Moxley works the camera. And then watch Joey Janela, who has no fucking idea what in the hell he's doing. Well, I was going to say, this is almost right down to uh, backyard wrestling. Yeah, I mean, and I love Joey Janela. I, I really like Joey Janela, but Joey Janela has not been working television for years every week. And it was like he just didn't care where the cameras were. Like, the cameras are just supposed to catch what I'm doing. No, you're supposed to be in the position for the cameras. And Moxley knows that, and Janela doesn't. When I take it in this sense, though, what a learning opportunity. Absolutely. And hopefully, and hopefully he was, you know, hopefully he was wise enough to say, and that he sits down with Moxley afterwards, and they break down and say, oh, these were mistakes that you made. You, you get the game film. This reminds me, you know, of that great young, that great young talent sitting down with John Gruden. Mm-hmm. Yep. And saying, you know, looking at the film and, and learn from Moxley there. And that's, you know, one of the reasons they should be paying him mega dollars there. Yep, absolutely. And there's several of those guys inside the company, whether it's Dean Malenko, whether it's Arn Anderson, whether it's Moxley, whether it's Jericho. Well, I mean, to get out there to get out there and actually work a match and then sit there and be able to review it with an individual yep. like Moxley at that level. I mean, that is you're talking about you know, the value of someone just like here with Moxley. I mean, that doubles his value. Someone like Justin, mm-hmm. uh, a young like Darby Allen, getting to go out there and work with Jericho. Yep. You know, if you and, and if you have that option, then to sit down with that actual individual and explain to you, in addition to having a Malenko, an Arn Anderson, someone like that, that's going to be you know work wonders. So in that sense, yeah, it, it was a little sloppy in the moment during you know light diffusion. I was kind of like, okay, this main event was just there. I don't think it did anything, and for as just, you know, in that moment, that real time viewer, I don't think it did, but now talking it out here with you, Jargo, I think it did. You talk about a tremendous, tremendous effort going forward to help you now. Hey, I wanted to bring up, Hey, what a tag team partner I am, man. Hey, I stood up for you. I went out there. I let everyone know, Hey, the, the great Ben Hameen, he missed one. <laughs> he, he, he didn't understand. I think it, it went over even his head when we were making the comparison and when you really laid it out there about the young Joey Janela now and the young, young Chris Jericho, then when they were both just green and learning these two different, you know, these similar situations. Yeah. Go back and watch Jericho when he first came into WCW and he was a struggling vanilla white meat baby face that come on, let's go. And everybody yeah. was like, what in the fuck is this guy's problem? And it wasn't we, until he turned going? heel, until Monday Night Jericho, when it finally clicked and it started to work. Absolutely. And it's and it's about defining an individual and giving a direction. We don't have that with Joey Janela right now. No. Everything is there. I mean, you have got the perfect piece of clay to mold something into, but it, it's still so raw. It's still that just clump of, of clay right now. It needs sculpting. It needs time and nurture. And that's what we're going to get. So I, I didn't take a whole lot away from the main event. I wasn't down on it. I was just like, it's kind of there. But now that we're talking it out here, what a great opportunity for a tremendous young talent there. We were going to talk about SmackDown, but then, you know, the, the only thing on SmackDown worth talking about was Baron Corbin, Roman Reigns, and dog food. And that's absolute dog shit, so we're not even going to talk about it. We're just going to skip all that fucking shit. We're going to jump straight to New Japan Pro Wrestling as the show is running long today. But I do want to get this in there because the World Tag League Final going down tomorrow morning. Now, Rick, they are not doing a true final here. This is going to be whoever finishes with the most points wins. 
So there's not going to be a one versus two to see who wins. It's just whoever has the most points, congratulations. You have punched your ticket to Wrestle Kingdom to go on and face G.O.D. for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championships. Um, so there's only three teams still in this thing. Evil and Sonata, if they win, they are the back-to-back-to-back World Tag League champions. That's never been done. It's a hell of a case for Los Ingobernobres. Upon. Yeah, why not? Just make it up for 130. Uh, if G.O.D. lose and Finjuice defeat Evil and Sonata, Finjuice win. If G.O.D. and Finjuice win, there's a three-way tie at the top with 26 points. So your two matches that actually mean anything going into tonight's show, Finn Juice versus Evil and Sonata, that's going to be your main event. Finn Juice did defeat Evil and Sonata in last year's tournament, so don't completely write them off. They do have a shot here. And then it's going to be the Gorillas of Destiny versus Ishihashi, the team of Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi. Um, if G.O.D. wins... They also will finish with 26 points. Rick, I kind of like the idea of a three-way tie for World Tag League. Yeah, when you had pitched this to me, you know, my head started spinning. You know, I'm, I'm coming at you with a million questions. Well, what are these tiebreakers there? How are we going to handle this thing? I mean, this is an interesting dynamic. This is something really exciting. Then you add in, you know, what we know, the two-night spectacle. That will be Wrestle Kingdom. You know, how does that play into this thing? You want to talk about using, we were talking about the proper way or different techniques to tell your stories, to get that out there for your audience. I mean, this is tremendous in-ring storytelling here. We, we don't need, you know, vignettes and cutting promos. This is just coming down to pride. It's coming down to claiming this tournament and moving on to your grandest stage at Wrestle Kingdom. It's sports. This is a sports-like presentation. And if you want to know what the, the competitors think about it, you can go on YouTube the next day and you can find their post-match press conferences where they sit down and they answer questions from the media and then they go and they hit the showers, you know, just like every other sport on the face of the fucking planet. But no, you know, it's, it's too complicated for our fragile little minds to understand. So, Rick, I'm going full in. I want the three-way, but I don't know how I want this thing to work out. G.O.D. is already going to be defending the IWGP Tag Team Championships at Wrestle Kingdom. We know that. They're the current champions. So they don't necessarily have to get into a tiebreaker situation here, but... If Finn Juice beat Evil and Sonata, they just outright win this thing. And that leaves Evil and Sonata with nothing to do at Wrestle Kingdom. I kind of like the way that this thing has worked out. So you can have a three-way tie and then you can do one of two things. You can either do a rematch of Finn Juice versus Evil and Sonata night one and the winners move on to night two to face G.O.D. Or you can just do a triple threat tag match. And you know what? They don't do triple threat matches in Japan, so I'm actually excited for it. If I only get one triple threat match a year, great. If it's Monday Night Raw, sometimes I get three or four of them over the course of a week. How many events do we have that are they out traveling between now and, and I know it's a short time away. Uh, they are doing a, a Road to Tokyo Dome tour. Um, let me pull that up quick.
Road to Tokyo Dome, the 19th, 20th, and 21st. So there's only three shows between the end of World Tag League and Wrestle Kingdom. Okay, so I, you know, maybe a selling point on those shows is you end up with a three-way tie here. Now, obviously, if you're G.O.D., you're like, well, we already have our, our right to go there. Uh, so how about you guys fight night one, and we'll be waiting for your opportunity on night two. Then you can have the other two teams come in here like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You're not going to get a pass here just because you're the champ. So we've all got a claim here to winning tag league. So on this show, maybe you do something like in singles matches to say, you know, they like to intertwine some things where they're trying to position themselves where it is. Two teams will face each other on night one with one of the teams getting an opportunity to hold off until night two. So G.O.D. is not just getting a pass because they are the champs. They could uh, they could potentially have to defend on both nights. Or they could lose night one and we have a new champ going into night two. Yeah, I, I personally, I like the idea that you have, and obviously this would all have to be set up. This is where the suspension of disbelief comes in, ladies and gentlemen. So I would like to have a three-way tie. And they say, okay, so at the first night of Wrestle Kingdom, it is going to be a three-way dance, and the winners will not only be the IWGP World Heavyweight Champions, they will also take the World Tag League trophies. Because as it is right now, G.O.D. has never won a World Tag League. That's the one box that they have not been able to check off yet. They want those trophies. So So it's a winner take all. Yep, winner takes all. The other thing that could play into this, because I would have G.O.D. retain, and then, okay, so they won World Tag League. That means that they can name their own competitors... For night two of Wrestle Kingdom. And Rick, you know who I want him to name? Yeah. Enzo and Big Cass. Bring their fucking asses over to Japan so Tama Tonga can gun stun that little fucking midget straight to hell where he fucking belongs. I am so sick of Enzo Amore on fucking Twitter running his goddamn mouth about Tama Tonga. He wants to talk some shit. Let the gorillas fucking defend the IWGP World Tag Team Championships against Enzo and Cass inside the fucking Tokyo Dome and have GOD just squash the fucking shit out of him. Go ahead. You're, you're talking about, especially, you know, because the question would be, well, how the hell did they get there? Well, play to it. Yeah. Have those guys go over there. Let us, let them know. Let these guys use their social media. Let us know they're over there. Can you imagine those two on the streets out there in Tokyo? Oh, God. Not really. I just, no, because their respect and manners, you know, being proper, that goes a long way in Japan. I don't even think they'd let Enzo Amore into fucking Japan. I think it would be hilarious. Oh, it would absolutely be hilarious. But yeah, I want to see G.O.D. beat the shit out of Enzo. He can bring Cass along, too, since he needs a partner. But I really want to see Tomatonga just beat the fucking shit out of Enzo. You know, hey, just, hey have those guys already saying it. I heard you guys on night one. Got a big triple threat. We know you've never won this thing. You, you talk a lot of tough game. You know what? It's a big event. We're a, we're big event guys. We're going over to check it out. Don't even really make mention of the second night thing. Yeah. Maybe they just show up in the crowd, jump over the barricade. Finally, G.O.D. gets a hold of them. 
So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit us over at the HTM Podcast Network, hittingthemarks.com. Be sure that you visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Get the latest and greatest breaking news from our friends over at lastwordonprowrestling.com as well as our newfound friends, IndiePW.com. You can find Huckleberry and I this Monday inside the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Maybe we'll talk about fucking dog food, because I know people are just dying to hear us talk about that. We will have a full rundown of the college football playoff, as well as the finals of World Tag League. Until then, you can find me across all social media platforms, at NotJargo. RBV, how do these fucking idiot fans find you? Well, as always, you can keep up with me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms, at the real RBV. But it's championship Saturday, baby. We are moments away. Get geared up. Wrap this up here. You see, get ready to ruin. We're going to play the villains here. The spoilers ruin the season for the Memphis Tigers. Knock them out of potential for a New Year's Day big six. And then later on, ladies and gentlemen, bask in their glory. And Buckeyes, they're going to take care of some business. Just not take care of business. Pound it home to assure everyone that they are the number one team in the land. Damn, Baylor and Oklahoma is an awful tight game. Going to have to tune into that as I edit up this show. So we will talk to you Monday inside the locker room. Hackerhameen.podbean.com for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give up. You bad guy! I'll be your bad guy.